following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. This is Pepsi Mama. Welcome you to another episode of the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, or Arts, as we call it for short. And we're glad to have you here. Um, I'm your host, Pepsi Mama, or Monica Jones, whichever you prefer. Um... A lot of people know me as Pepsi Mama, so, and I love my Pepsis, and I'm not too happy because I'm out of Pepsis right now. <laughs> but nonetheless, happy Sunday. And, um, first thing is, I'd like it if you, uh, would take time to like us and follow us. And contact us and all that good stuff. Uh, follow us on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. On YouTube and Facebook where Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? And on Twitter we are at Blind Whose. B-L-I-N-D-W-H-O-S-E. And um, if you want to email me, you can email me at... Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, at gmail.com. And so we hope you'll, and if you don't want to, if you, if you don't like any of those options, you can follow us on any of your, um, podcast formats. So go for it, guys. Um, whatever you use for uh, podcast you can find us last week I messed up and didn't um, didn't put together my Sunday as I told you I was going to um, I forgot <laughs> and so this time I'm gonna uh, I, I think I'm not gonna do a Sunday per se this time um, I'm going to do one of those little, do y'all remember Nutty Buddies? Some places, some companies call them drumsticks, some companies call them Sunday cones. Um, you know, they're this little pointed, uh, pointed chocolate cone. Uh, well, it's, uh, like a sugar cone and it's got chocolate and peanuts all around it and it's got a point at the bottom and it kind of kind of reminds me of the party hats we used to get when I was a little bitty youngin but um I think I'm gonna have that today and I'm gonna put my strawberry and whipped cream on top of that it'll fit nicely so there you have it so today I don't have to remember anything, and which is a good thing because it's not a good day for me to remember much of anything. <laughs> but uh, 
and I feel like I'm uh, not telling you something. Oh, yeah, I don't think I told you my email address. Uh, if you want to email me personally um, with comments about the program or suggestions or requests or whatever, uh, you can find me at Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E. At gmail.com. So that's afternoon radio theater Sunday at gmail.com. So my, my, uh, topic for today is going to be laughs and chills. So what I've done is I've put together, um, some comedy. I, I'll, I'll do like, uh, a mystery and a comedy and a mystery and a comedy and then I'll do the strawberry which is actually neither one. So the first thing that I'm going to do is mystery theater and the name of it is the reluctant killer and he labors over this killing so much that it nearly kills him but anyway I won't say no more about it. I'll let you guys uh, figure it out and see how you like it. I thought it was pretty good. Catch you in a few. CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... all of us are who drive the freeways and the throughways of the behemoth of the road, the tractor-trailer truck. Most of the time, we mumble under our breaths at the size of these 30, 40-ton monsters, particularly on wet nights when the rain is slanting down and that swirling mist in their trail fogging and dirtying our windshields. But we seldom spare much thought to the men who drive them. See that sign, Steve? This weather, I'm lucky I can see the road. What'd it say, Joe? El Paso, 34 miles. That's 34 miles too far tonight. Uh, hang in, Steve. Another hour or so, and you and me are really gonna tie one on. Uh, count me out. Oh, not again. I got things to do. Ever since you took over the seven runs from Big Jim, you've been a loner. Well, maybe after this trip, you won't have to put up with me anymore, Joe. What does that mean? Well, well, what kind of things? Well, first off, I must find my wife. And then, I'm going to kill her. Our mystery drama, The Reluctant Killer, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars Tony Roberts. to kill her. There was something so final and deadly about the quiet statement that it got to Joe. For once in his life, he knew enough to keep quiet. He just sat in his corner of the cab, 
watching the big, darkly handsome man at the wheel, who handled his 30-ton rig as easily as if it were a small, compact car. The face was impassive, but that was an illusion, because a stormy sea of memory was battering against the inside of his skull like waves of pain that shattered every nerve end as they broke. I was always big for my age, and too strong. Mom always kept reminding me, and it was just as well, even though I long ago found that out for myself. My cousin was eight, and uh, I was just six. We were fooling around, just wrestling. I did something to his neck that put him in the hospital for near a month. I didn't mean to hurt him. He was my best friend. It was my Uncle Jan got me interested in football. So, my little strong man, this is where I come every Saturday to play our American football. A rough game, but still good for the character. And $50 extra a week during the season. Ah, that is manna from heaven. You like to grow up and be football player? Yeah. I tell you what. I bring you and your mama here next Saturday and you take a look, huh? Then if you like, maybe I teach you to play. You will have some coffee, Jan, and some cake. No, sister. I have already little time to be back on the job. Why you call me lunchtime? I can never find you evenings. You and your your girls. <laughs> Some nights I have to study. Study football formations, who to block, what sort block, brush, hold, take down. Please. I do not want to hear. It is that game. You've gotten Stefan crazy about it. It is not for him. Why? You should know. Stefan does not know his own strength. I'm afraid since the moment he was born, he will grow up and kill someone in spite of himself. How could you know this about a baby? Uh, I see things. Even God himself should not allow me to see. Uh, are we going back to all this Romany nonsense again? We go back to Gypsy King. <laughs> I hope not. I will be happy to settle for Slav myself. And better still, American. That cannot change what I know. And what do you know? Stefan was born. The wrong side of midnight. What does that mean? There is death in his future. Unless he walks with great care. The tarot cards tell me again and again it is so. He is there? That is not revealed. Only that it is he or someone close to him... And that the death might be because of him. I never knew about that conversation till my mother died. I was a senior in college on a football scholarship, and by then she was resigned to it at last because it was getting me an education I couldn't have afforded otherwise. She never would have told me about her fears for me, I guess, if it weren't for the pro offers that were being dangled in front of me. Oh, I am glad the football season is over, Stefan. Now, no more wars. Uh, don't knock it too much, Mom. It, it opened a lot of doors for me. Oh, that is what I'm proud and happy for. When you get your degree, you'll be an engineer. A man with a white collar. Hey, hey don't go kicking the blue-collar worker around. Mom. Times have changed. Oh, times, maybe. But be what the college has trained you to be. That's a pretty tough promise to ask for, Mom. Why? Oh, a lot of reasons. 
First of all, I love the game. I, I, I really, really do. Second, I, I may have big muscles, but I got no great brain to match them. I'm not so sure I could make it as a mechanical engineer. Last off, uh, there's an awful lot of dough in a football future for me. I'd, I'd like us to have some for a change. I want to set you up in a house of your own. No more work. No more worry. No, Steve. And before you stop me, I'll give you some first and last offs of my own. First, I don't want to say this, but you've got to know sometime. I, I haven't got too much future left, Stefan, my son. God is about ready to bring me home. I... Oh. Ah, what is it? Stefan, quick, in the kitchen, on the spice shelf behind the dill bottle, a little... Dark medicine bottle with small white pills. Bring them. I'll be right back, Bob. Oh, no. No, God, please. Not yet. Till I know my boy is safe. That was the first information I had of my mother was dying. She and Uncle John had uh, kept the secret from me completely till that moment. How mercifully quick it was after the years of angina pains. Less than a week later, I sat with my mother before she died. She told me of a long-ago conversation with Uncle Jan. And then... That... That is why I... I feel... If only you were... Away from... All that violence and fighting, I... I could see happiness and... Peace for you, Stefan... Not, not, not for my sake. Yours. Promise me no more football. So money isn't to buy something for you, Mom. What's it worth? I promise. I could have kept my promise to my mother if it hadn't have been for Pat. After Mom died with the funeral and all and my last term to get through, I took a job at a gas station part-time. I could have worked as much as I wanted because the owner soon discovered I knew most everything about a car from front end to universal, but I was having a rough time making it with the books and getting ready for finals. I worked mostly weekends. It was a Saturday morning with the sky as blue as a robin's egg that she drove in. She was driving a Maserati, which most time would have had all my attention, but Pat could have sat in some kid brother's beat-up heap for all the notice you'd take of the car. All the way, miss? I beg your pardon? I mean, uh, fill her up? Yes. Premium. Premium? That's right. The best. Well, that's what you deserve. Nothing but. Only, uh... Only what? Well, she looks pretty new to me. What year is she? Seventy-three. Well, then you want regular. Don't tell me what I want. Well, it's your wagon, baby. You want to burn out your vowels with a 95 rating? You got it. Uh, wait, wait a minute. Uh, what's a 95? Well? Excuse me. I was looking at your legs. What was the question? What's a 95 rating? Gas. Octane. 87, 88's all you need, and you keep your engine clean as a whistle. What'll it be? Anybody as big as you doesn't have to be conceited or show off, so maybe you know what you're talking about. Make it regular. I'd like to. 
What? Make it regular. Or even once. I want you to check under the hood. <laughs> I was hoping you'd ask me that. Why? Beautiful. Just beautiful. Are we starting that again? No, I was talking about this piece of machinery. Oh. Well? Well, what do you want me to check? Well, whatever. Whatever you do. Battery, oil, and things. Sure. My name is Steve Janos. I'm Pat Bard. What are you doing this evening? I have a date, of course. What could you do about it anyway? Oh, nothing. I'm, I'm closing early because I have to hit the books. I got a test coming up. I, I don't know why. Uh, uh... What time are you closing? 10.30. I'll pick you up at 10.30 and drive you home. Why? I don't know. I must be out of my mind. Just like me. I mean, uh, I've been that way since the moment I first saw you. And that was the beginning for Pat and me. Beginnings only seemed to signal a great, great future. If it hadn't been for a mother. Oh, not that I'd ever been smart enough to realize what a troublemaker Pat's mother was, except for what happened later. For beginners, I thought she was a real nice woman. I could see where all her daughter's beauty came from. I mean, Pat, and uh, I guess her mother, too, in her day, could turn on the space. Good Lord. You are one hunk of man, Mr. Stephen Americanus. The Janos, man. Oh, I know your real name. But you look more like Mr. America to me. Tell me, can you isolate your stomach muscles? Beg your pardon? Never mind, just a trick anyway. So, you want to marry my daughter, huh? I'm going to marry your daughter. Oh, not without my consent, Buster. And approval. Oh, I didn't mean to annoy you, but... Anyone who crosses me burns me up. But do you want to talk some more? Let's go for a swim in the pool first. <laughs> you're a heck of a swimmer, Mrs. Warfield. <laughs> well, you're not. You wallow and thrash about like a bear. Uh, it's just not my game. Oh, I know what your game is. I've watched you play a lot of years. No kidding. No kidding. The penalty of my lifestyle. I watch a lot of games I don't enjoy. Even have to uh, participate in some of them. Oh, why do that? Because, my 235-pound teddy bear, I like to live in the style to which I have always been accustomed. I want the same for Pat. That's why I loosened the apron strings on you. Excuse me? What league are you going to sign with, Steve? Oh. Well, that's up to Uncle Jan. I, I like the NFL myself, but that's mostly because I always rooted for the Browns. <laughs> I must admit I wouldn't have minded being their den mother myself. But uh, you are going to play pro football. Yes, ma'am. I expect to. Uh-huh. And, um... What kind of contract does your Uncle Jan expect to negotiate for you? Well, uh, I think it's kind of crazy myself, but they're talking about 500000 no cut, three-year guarantee. Uh-huh. But uh, just for your own protection, let's wait till we get that contract signed first. Huh? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I've got to know I can support a wife. I, I got some pride, you know. Suddenly, I was seeing my future mother-in-law clearly for the first time. 
I wasn't a person to her, just a commodity, a buy or sell or accept as a gift. She didn't care about Steve Janus, only that he represented a half a million bucks on the hoof. I'd have cut out there and obeyed my promise to my mother if it hadn't been for Pat. She was what I loved. She was the only one important to me. Nothing could change that. I might want to kill her mother, but I never could feel that same way about Pat. I'm just not built that way. I couldn't kill a fly. Uh, Steve. Yeah, Joe. You okay? Yeah, why? We just passed an El Paso city limit sign. I, I thought you ought to know. I saw it. You looked like you was a hundred miles away. Don't worry about me. Even if I was high as a kite, I could still haul freight. Oh, sure, sure. You got the touch. Yeah. I just got the creeps with all that talk about you planning to kill your wife. I don't go for that kind of kidding so good. Uh, I wouldn't blame you, Joe. Because I'm not kidding. And with that last statement from Steve, Joe returns to his corner for good. He wants no part of this personal vendetta. And yet, Joe is going to find out that he will turn up right square in the middle of it with no escape and no excuse and a horrendous multiplication of what he thinks is terror. big tires on the wet highway has slowed a little now that the big trailer truck is approaching the city. But inside the cab, they seem even louder in the silence between the two men. Joe sits hunched over, staring straight ahead through the half circle of clear glass the windshield wiper keeps open against the driving rain, sneaking a sidelong glance every so often at Steve. But Steve is lost again in his own thoughts driving mechanically with his body reflexes while his mind courses through the past. We were married the week after I graduated. The day I signed my final contract with the Pumas. The headlines embarrassed me, but Pat and her mother really went for them big. Star, fullback, signs, own interference. Steve, killer, Janus, Wed's former Patricia Bard. And, and captioning one picture, Beauty and the Beast. The last one really got to pack. That's dirty pool. What's that? This headline, Mother. Oh, <laughs> you can't deny it's true. Oh, just look at that beautiful animal you married. If you weren't my own little girl, I'd be fitting an arrow to my bow right now and off on the chase. Yeah, if you did, I'd never stop running. <laughs> Why? Am I so bad? Ah, you know, I didn't mean it that way, Mrs. Bard. <laughs> just meant you're kind of a bit much for any guy to handle. <laughs> well, never you worry about me. You just take care of my baby in the way to which he's accustomed. Lord knows you're going to be rich enough. Mother! Oh, Pat, don't go ingenue on me. Money may not buy happiness, but it sure makes it a lot easier to find. And keep. Oh, now, off you go, you two. It's going to be a short enough honeymoon as it is. <laughs> I didn't realize how true that was at the time. Sure, I had two weeks before training camp began, but there was more to it than that. Some dark shadow that moved like a warning somewhere in the back of my mind. 
Even during the honeymoon on a lost island in the Bahamas every so often, it would stir enough to make Pat notice. Oh, Steve. Isn't it sheer, unadulterated heaven? Pat. Standing like that with your hair streaming in the wind and those white drops of water gleaming like pearls against your skin. You're the most beautiful, perfect thing God ever made. <laughs> You're pretty impressive yourself in the altogether. And I never thought of you as a poet. No, I'm no poet. I'm just a guy in love with a goddess. <laughs> How can I be sure you love me the way I love you? Don't I show you? Oh, I don't mean that. I mean, uh... I mean... What? Oh, I don't know. I... I get scared sometimes. It's... Uh, ah, you know, it's a celebrity bit. Don't you think I like to be the wife of Stephen Killer Janice? Oh, don't say that. What? That screwball nickname they hung on me. You do mow them down, lover. Yeah, but it's a game, Pat. It's a game. I don't want to hurt anybody. I know how gentle you can be. But I get my kicks, too, watching you from the stands. Yeah, but that's what worries me, see? Supposing it all ended. I blew the ligaments in a knee. I picked up a compound fracture in a pilot. Don't talk about things like that. Yeah, but a football player lives with injuries every time he suits up. Supposing I really bought an injury that ends my career, like Tucker Fredrickson or somebody. You won't. Not my Iron Man. What if I did? Oh, I'd miss seeing you play. The excitement and all. But it wouldn't be that bad. And we'd still have the money. The money? Well, if you're injured or something, that doesn't cancel the contract, does it? No, but... If there wasn't that kind of money, Pat, I mean, would it... Would it make that much difference to you? Oh, for Pete's sake, Steve. What is this, a back meeting or a honeymoon? Now, can we just change the subject? What's the matter with you, anyway? I didn't actually know what was the matter with me at that moment. If it was something that had been building up for a long time without me knowing it. Maybe without my wanting to face it. But back in training camp, I found out I was going to have to. It took me most of the summer to make up my mind, but the third exhibition game did it for me. Before I took final action, I talked it over with Uncle Jan... Oh, why do you come to me, Stefan? You know the answer. Yeah, the answer, sure. But have I the right to make that decision? No one else can make it for you. But about that decision, yes. I will talk a little if you want. Yeah, that's why I came to you. Mm -hmm. So you broke Magorsky's back on a block. Now, that is too bad. No one likes injuries. But that's the game. Ah, game. It stopped being a game a long time ago, Uncle Jan. But it bought me a college education. It'll make me a rich man. In spite of all that, it's still a game. A man's game, a challenge. Not many play only for the money. No one can pay a man enough to take the punishment he takes in the pros. You must pay yourself on the inside with the heart and the mind... To balance out the agony you ask your body to accept. And you no longer can. I didn't have to hit Magorsky that hard. Jones already had him off the ball carrier, but that's what the coach demands. He gave you the nickname originally, didn't he? Killer. Yes. When I was still in college, I always hated it. I run the only way I know how. I, I don't want to hurt anyone. When that whistle blows, I don't see guys human beings anymore. 
I just want to get out there and hit. And hit. And hit till it hurts the other guy more than me. I wanted to hurt Magorski. He slipped a block on me early in the game. I wanted to kill him. This isn't the beginning anymore, Uncle Jan. This is the end. It isn't a game anymore. It's making me into my name. Then you quit. Just like that? <laughs> I have a wife. I've got an expensive house. An even more expensive mother-in-law. How do I support him? You're an engineer. Ah, I wouldn't be a good one. A mechanic. That's what I am. That's what I'd like to do. Run my own shop. Cars. That's it, then. Get a gasoline franchise. A first-class garage. That takes money. And if I quit football, money's what I ain't gonna have. <laughs> I've been saving all my life. I'll put up the money, you run the front, the, the repair shop. Stefanson, we'll go into partnership together. What a load off my back. I couldn't wait to get home and tell Pat she'd been complaining what a bear I was around the house. And now I could tell her why and we could get back to the way our marriage had started off. I was as happy as a kid with a brand new bike when I got home. Even Pat's mother being there didn't dampen or stop me. I blurted it out to both of them in the kitchen. Quit football? What about your contract? There's no way they can make me play. Couldn't they sue? Ah, for the peanuts they paid me so far, they don't have to. I'll pay it back. You couldn't play for any other team. I'm never going to play football again. You're going to be a mechanic? A cheap, dirty grease monkey? Now, wait a minute. But how can we keep this house? We won't be able to afford Oh, sure, sure. We'll have to pull in our horns. We'll have to get a small apartment for a while that you could take care of. Honey... You remember I asked you once if the money made all that difference between us? And maybe you remember I didn't answer. I should hope not. Look, are you trying to tell me that just because you suddenly are getting a little squeamish about hurting your fellow man, you're going to renege on what you offered my daughter? That you expect to turn her into some sort of middle-class drudge? Who spends her life at a washing machine cleaning your oily overalls? Why don't you stay out of this, Joy? Let me handle it, Mother. Honey... You're tired and you hurt, and I know this period of training is awful tough on you. Why don't you have a little rest, and then we can... Look, look, Pat, I didn't make up my mind two seconds ago. This took a long time, and it's final. Come on upstairs, baby, and let's you and I work it all out. Before you... I have already talked to management. I quit. It's too late. Without even asking Pat. Joy... If Pat loves me, she has to see that I have to quit. Otherwise, I'm turning into another person neither of us knows. But you can't give up all that money. Oh. Oh, honey, I, I didn't mean that. I... I suddenly realized that, yes, you did. I want to get out of here for some fresh air. Where are you going? I'm going downstairs to the garage to get the car. I'm going for a ride to my lawyer and make damn well sure I'm clean out from under. Baby, you're so tired and confused. Let Pat talk to you a little and show Get away from me, Pat. Don't do that to me again. It's only for your own good. Get away from me. You keep your hands off my door. Help me. I'd I'd only pushed her away in a moment of revulsion, but as usual, I wasn't conscious of my own strength. Fortunately, Pat wasn't seriously hurt. But on a witness stand, in a court... And with the attorney's pictures to hand around, she looked as though I'd tried to beat her to a pulp. Because that's what my loving wife and mother-in-law did to me. They brought me to court for wife-beating. 
because my decision about the football contract was irrevocable. They lied. I was given a year's sentence in jail. They let me out after eight months on parole. Big deal. I had to prove myself for nothing. Well, when I find Pat, I'm going to prove a lot of things. Uh, Steve. Huh? You know you're talking out loud. What was I saying, Joe? Well, just about your marriage, you know. You know I was in jail? Yeah, yeah, you said that. And why? Yeah. Yeah, but, but honest, uh, I, I believe you, the way you said it. The, well, the only thing is, what's the point in holding a grudge? A matter of pride. Yeah, but, well, I mean, <laughs> to kill someone. How'd you expect to get away with it? Doesn't matter much if I do. I think you're trying to string me. Why? Well, all this McGillah about knocking off someone. I mean, supposing I was to turn you into the parole officer, or even the police. You wouldn't want to get mixed up in this, Joe, would you? No. But if something did happen, I'd be the first one they'd question. I'd have to tell the cops. <laughs> I'll be over the border by then. Mexico. Ever since I got out of jail, I've been packing it away. A year. Seventy-five bucks a week or more. I got pretty near five thousand bucks. Right here. This money belt goes wherever I go. Oh, why don't you forget it? Write her off. It's just another dame. Another dame. You ever been in love, Joe? Well, my old way. I mean, what am I so much? I draw only the dogs. Oh, but there is this girl at the Paradise Restaurant I've been telling you about. Hey, look. Why don't we garage this heap and you and me go over there and have some laughs and like, huh? Well, like, well, maybe like Chi Yan. Ah, no sale. I couldn't look at anyone since Pat. Pat? That was her name. Pat Bard. Oh, what'd she look like, this... Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I bet she was some looker. <laughs> Poor old cabin buddy. Why should I saddle you? You asked for it, so here. Look for yourself. That's her, your pet? My sometime wife. Well, she... She's something to... What we stopped for? Well, the parole officer just down the street. I might as well check you. You haul the rig in and garage it. Look, I'll buy you dinner. Huh? Meet you later at that... Paradise Restaurant. Oh, no, no. Look, Steve. Now, no, no, forget it. You, you don't have to on account of me. Oh, I want to. I got the word that Pat's working as a waitress at some joint. It's one I haven't checked out. <laughs> don't worry, Joe. If I find it, you won't be involved. Check. Yeah, check. Just keep your nose out of this and stay clean. And if you only knew, Steve, it just doesn't happen to be that easy, buddy. mumbled comment to himself on which we can eavesdrop but that Steve doesn't hear. What does it mean? How can Joe, who is no part of Steve's past, have any relation to his present or his future? If you have 
have a suspicion by now that Joe is not telling Steve everything he could. You might be right. But this is an evening for evasion in general. And suspicion. Because as Steve faces his parole officer, he obviously conceals his intentions towards his wife if and when he finds her. And I'm saying it again, Janos. I'm not so happy about this arrangement. I'm only doing it as a favor to Sam Brooks, your own parole officer up in Houston. Yeah, but Mr. Kiefer, why do you object to my getting a job? Well, you're a graduated engineer and a top mechanic. I don't like this shuttling between cities. If it wasn't for Sam, you couldn't hold a job like you have. Yes, sir. Mr. Brooks has been real nice to me. You ever hear from your wife? No, sir. Except the one time she sent me the divorce papers. Yeah, but you've no idea where she is now. No, no, sir. Don't you care? Well, after what happened? As far as I'm concerned, Mr. Kiefer, my wife is dead. Well, I'm not trying to rub your nose in it. I just want to point out that your year's almost up, and then you'll have us off your back. So don't get in any trouble in my backyard. I'll throw the whole book at you if you do. I'll tell you why I called you, Sam. Your favorite parolee, Steve Janos, was just in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what a big football fan you are. Me, it's the ponies. What's on my mind? I don't know. The Cleveland police just sent me down a picture of that wife of his. And... Huh? Oh, <laughs> she's not marked up in what I'm looking at. Sensational looking doll. Too good to just pass up. What I want to know is, how are you coming on that trace you've had out on her? Yeah. Well, the moment anything turns up, you get on the pipe. Even tonight, I'll be here late. I wouldn't want to know that your boy and this girl were in the same town. That could be begging for trouble. The manager said you had some trouble with the other waitress. Can I help? <gasps> Steve. Hi, Pat. Fancy meeting you here. How did you find me? When I got out of jail, I discovered your mother had died. You sold a house and moved. Somebody told me you'd gone to work as a waitress. I started out combing every restaurant in Cleveland. I, I came south. Yeah. When I got my copy of the divorce papers, they were postmarked El Paso. I got a job holding freight down here. I've been looking for you ever since. What for? We gotta talk, Pat. You and me. I, I can't. I work here. What is this? This masquerade? You working as a waitress? I have to. What for? To earn a living. I don't believe you. What difference does it make? We're through. No. I have to talk to you. All right. Uh, they're calling me from another table. I should be through in half an hour or so. I'll be back. No, not here. Don't make any trouble for me. I'll meet you at my place. Where? I live right down the street, right off the dock by the river. The last cabin out on the jetty. I'll meet you there after I'm through. How do I know you won't run out on me? I promise you I... Look, here's my key. You can wait in my cabin for me. Now I've got to take care of my customers. <laughs> I looked around for Joe, but I guess he decided he didn't want any part of me after what I told him. 
I realize now, since the paradise was his favorite joint, he must have recognized Pat from the picture I'd shown him. I could only hope he hadn't hollered copper, but at least he hadn't tried to warn Pat. In the back of the restaurant was the jetty Pat had mentioned, only it was more of a string piece bridging out to a small island with some summer cabins on it. The others were lighted. One dark. That would be Pat's. I would do it here. My hands on her throat were strong enough to snap it rather than strangle her, and then her body into the river. I started to wait. Oh, hello, Sam. Who? Patricia Barr. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was her maiden name. You located her how? Through the waitresses, Union. Well, I didn't know she was working. Where? The Paradise Restaurant right here in El Paso? I had a sneaking hunch your boy had a good reason for working this job. He's been hunting for her, and now he's found her. Yeah, 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 it could be natural enough, and maybe he just wants to kindle an old flame, but me, I'm a cynic. Maybe nothing's going to happen, but I'm getting my tail over there as fast as I can to make sure nothing does. didn't you wait in the cabin? I wanted to make sure you were alone. Who would I have with me? Cops, maybe. Why would you think that? You did the last time you came for me. Where have you been? You don't have to hold me so tightly. I'm not going to run. That's what I decided, you see. When you carry something inside you, there's no point in running away. It goes wherever you go. I can't leave it behind. What? My... My shame. Shame? At what I did to you. Steve, please, let's go inside. I want to talk to you. No. You and me, we don't go anywhere together. Ever again. Is that all you came to tell me? I came to get back at you for what you did to me. I've been paid back for that already. Look at how I ended up. A cheap little waitress and even cheaper little joints. Eight lousy, stinking months in the tank with drunks and deadbeats and junkies. Steve, please, give me another chance. Let's go in the cabin. A four. Maybe we can still make things right. After what's happened. There can't be nothing left for us. That's all there is. Nothing. Except even the score. All right. If that's the way you want it. Why don't you do what you came back to do? Why don't you kill me? I... I can't. Isn't that what you came to do? Yes. I sat in that cell. And the shame of why I was there ate at my guts. Hate festering inside me till the day I could find you and pay you back for what you did to me. And now I... Yes? Now? Now I know why I searched so long. It wasn't hate. It's because I still love you. I want you. I hate myself for that worse than ever. Why? Because you don't want me. You never did. I won't come crawling. You wouldn't have to crawl, Steve. Oh, it's too late, Pat. How could I ever trust you again? You can trust me. If only I knew I could. Steve... Yes. 
you want the real reason I was late tonight. Because I knew what you planned to do. I knew you were planning to kill me. Oh. The little man that rides the truck with you, Joe. He's been in the restaurant before. And after you went out, he came in and warned me. Said he recognized me from a picture you showed him. That's why I started to run. Then why'd you come back? Because one of the things I learned in the past year is that I really love you, too. Without you, there's nothing. I might as well be dead. You took the chance that I... I was willing to gamble on you. Would... Would you take a chance on me again? Do you still have my key? Yes. Then let's go in. And I'll prove it to you. Welcome home, Steve. Oh, Pat, I love you so much. Did you kill him, Joe? No. No, I just sapped him. See? He's out cold. Now, where you been? First I got held up at the restaurant. Then he was waiting for me on the walk outside. Well, what are you waiting for? Huh? Get the money. Uh, 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 just a minute. What am I getting into? You're already in, Joe. Come on. I got my car waiting. We can be across the border in less than an hour. And in Mexico, with 5,000 bucks, we can live like royalty. Yeah. You really mean us, baby? I know you go for me. Uh, the way you always came to the restaurant. Uh, and I go for you, too. Yeah, yeah. You on the level, huh? Just try me. <laughs> That's a down payment. All right, now. Let's get that money belt off him and roll him in the river. Hold on, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I ain't going for murder. You won't have huh? to, Joe. <gasps> Who are you? Not exactly a real cop, lady, but the gun is real. You know, it's funny. All I was looking for was a possible parole violator. And now look at the can of worms I opened up. Okay, Joe, turn around and put your hands behind you. Oh, officer, you don't know Just how... Don't move, lady. I get nervous when both my hands are busy. You don't know what I've been through. The man on the floor was my former husband. We were going to have a reconciliation. And then this man came from nowhere and hit my husband with something and knocked him out. He was going to steal my husband's money and, and force me All to... All right, Sarah Burnout, turn it off. It won't work. Cute little item, isn't she, Joe? How long do you think you'd have lasted? She'd have ditched you at the first stop for gas. Aren't you going to take her in, too? Well, now, that's a question. She's a good looker. She might just beat the rap with only my word against hers. Of course, now, if, if I had a witness... If I had a hand free, I'd belt her one like Steve ought to have in the first place. Okay, okay, officer. You've got your witness. But, officer, you, you don't understand. You're right, I don't. I meet all kinds, and most of the worst got some good in them. But I sure don't understand anyone like you. I wonder if you, like myself when I first heard it, were as surprised at the outcome as I was. I thought for once we had a love story with a happy ending. Ah, me. Life is full of little disappointments.
thinking it over, it occurs to me that it all did have a happy ending. Joe and Pat were convicted of aggravated assault and battery and drew sentences of four to five years. It was a little rough on Steve at first, but the shock was enough to clear Pat Bard out of his mind for good. And he and his Uncle Jan finally opened their service station in Houston. Of course, he still flies more and more often to El Paso. It seems that Officer Kiefer has a very cute kid sister and, uh... But that, of course, is another story they'll have to complete. Our cast included Tony Roberts, Roberta Maxwell, Leon Janney, Bryna Rayburn, and Ian Martin. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. It will destroy the whole world. It's excitement. It's not good for you. The world, it's lost unless there is a new 36 man. Take my place. You must do it quickly. Quickly before. No, don't, don't, don't get up. Don't try to get up, please. Say yes, Harry. Say yes. And suddenly there is an end to thunder and lightning, the wind. Suddenly, every cloud will disappear. Bright sun will shine in a peaceful heaven. Just rest, not try to say yes. Only you can save the world. Say yes. Me? Me save the world? Yes. You, only you can save the world. Harry, Harry, say yes. Harry. Yes, yes, all right, yes. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. I'm back and hope y'all liked that one as much as I did. And this next one is somebody who... um, I remember pretty special from my childhood. It's the Milton Burroughs show. I remember him mostly from television when I was little. And um, I thought he was pretty funny back then. Uh, Even though... Even though it wasn't children's comedy. I still liked him. And... um, But it was good to find him on the radio. And this one is called... A satirical salute to radio. If every smoker knew what Philip Morris smokers know, they'd all change to Philip Morris. Johnny presents the Milton Berle Show. Johnny, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny on the spot for Philip Morris, America's finest cigarette. If every smoker knew what Philip Morris smokers know, they'd all change to Philip Morris. Yes, they'd all. Here's 
the Milton Berle Show with Bert Kelton, Jack Albertson, Arnold Stang, Mary Chip, Arthur Q. Ryan, our singing star Dick Farney, the musical Lay Block and his orchestra, and yours truly, Frank Gallup. Ladies and gentlemen, this week sees the return to the air of many of the comedians we've missed during the summer. We now bring you a comedian no one wants to miss. They'd like to get him on the first shot. And here he is, Milton Berle. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Gallup, I, I'm horrified. <laughs> Literally and veritably horrified at your intimation that people come here to shoot at me. You know very well, sir, that every single person in this audience is my friend. That's why before they get in here, they search for weapons by the ushers. <laughs> Just a precaution. <laughs> I keep telling them to search the ushers, too. <laughs> That's the way I like to start a program, with whimsical comedy. You know, nothing hokey. Well, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Gallup, the big radio season is about to start, and soon all the comedians will be back. Bill, do you mean there were no comedians on the air all summer? Well, I, I was on all summer. You haven't answered my question. <laughs> Mr. Gallup, I'm serious, and tonight we're welcoming back to the air my colleagues in comedy. You mean they're going to do to the people all winter what you did to them all summer? <laughs> yes. Psychiatry's in for a big year. Psychiatry, Mr. Gallup, you, you've been right alongside of me all summer. It hasn't had any effect on you. You look like a normal person, if you can find a normal person who wants to look like that. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Gallup, but don't, you know, don't try to match wits with me, because what's that ad-libbing? Because that's what I'm famous for. That on your 12 toes. <laughs> oh, that, that's Jim Dandy. That's jazzy. That's clever, Mr. Gallup. Did you make that up out of your own head? I noticed some of the parts were missing. <laughs> some of the parts were missing. Oh, see, Mr. Gallup? Don't start with me. I'll murder you. You'll murder me? Yes. Oh, why, I'll cut you down like the hem on the last year's dress. Oh, yeah? Well, why, I... a peasant? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Mr. Gallup, sir. Burl, is that a dimple in your cheek, or is that the place where they blow up your head? <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you. Quiet. Yeah. Is that your mouth, or is that a new tunnel to Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I stopped him. <laughs> Go ahead, ad-lib with me. Bird, you couldn't ad-lib a splinter if you were sitting on Charlie McCarthy's knee. Miserable <laughs> mm. <laughs> joke. Good audience. But... <laughs> No, Mr. Gallup, please. Now, will you please give me a chance? I mean that sincerely. I just can't stand here without saying something. The Republicans will want to run me for president. The Republicans will want to run me for president. Say, the prices are where they are. It's no sin to lay an egg. <laughs> aside, Mr. Gallup, tonight, Bob Holt's coming back on the air, and why, in a couple of weeks, I'll have more jokes than I can steal. Handle. 
You know, I'm starting to believe those wild rumors myself. But without further ado, let us welcome to the air the returning comedy shows with a salute to that great invention that has made it all possible. Radio. Radio, mighty voice of the world. Radio, lifeblood of advertising. Radio, that wonderful invention where I can reach millions of people who fortunately cannot reach me. <laughs> radio. But it is to the sad and lonely that radio gives its greatest service. When you're in the depths of despair, you turn on your radio and hear these wonderful, comforting words. Do you need money? <laughs> Are you hopelessly in debt today because you happen to like butter? <laughs> Here's what to do. Hey, wait a minute. What's this interruption? Stop this program. Stop. Stop the program. Well, who are you? I, sir, am Livingston Gentil. I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm with the National Broadcasting Company. Mr. Burl, why weren't you down in the main office this morning with the rest of the comedians who are coming back on the air? The main office? Yes. Before they could start a new season, they had to take the NBC pledge. You didn't. New season? Don't be silly. I, I've been on the air all summer. You... All summer? Yes. <laughs> over NBC? <laughs> yes, I've been on all summer over NBC. Oh, Mr. Bird, you're joking. <laughs> this is great. Here I've been on all summer and I... Excuse me, let me check that. Where's the phone? Give me the head technician. Look, you can take my word. Hello, Schnauzer. <laughs> Gensel on this end. Was Milton Burl on all summer? Burl. B-E-R-L-E. <laughs> really? Well, what do you know? Well, satisfied? He said you were on all summer. I know. But the microphones weren't on. <laughs> Great. Well, let's get on with the show. Sorry, Mr. Burl, you can't start the new season without taking the NBC pledge. Now, look, we're in the middle. Burl! Yeah. In the next studio, we have Harry Horlick and his A&P gypsies just aching to take over. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, cast, actors, this way, please. Oh, all right, quiet. We're ready for the pledge, Mr. Gendel. Thank you. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I solemnly swear... I solemnly swear to uphold the standards of NBC. To uphold the standards of NBC. I pledge on my honor never to tell jokes such as. I pledge on my honor never to tell jokes such as. Your father's mustache. Your father's mustache. Parties given by Howard. Parties given by Howard. You. You. The new Studebaker where you can't tell. The new Studebaker where you can't tell. Which end is? Which end is? Which? Which? <laughs> Should I violate this oath? Should I violate this oath? May I live in eternal shame and disgrace? May I live in eternal shame and disgrace? On another network. On another network. So help me, Mary Margaret McBride. So help me, Mary Margaret McBride. Thank you. And now will you join me in our network song?
and coffin such a nice man, isn't he? You know, this NBC's got such a big organization, and yet it, it has heart. Oh, uh, Cumber, let's not slobber. Mr. <laughs> Gallup, must, must I always be the fool and the clown? Can I get a little mellow? You're beyond that. You're Jamie. Mr. Gallup! <laughs> I'm warning you, if you don't stop with that ad-living, yes? you'll murder me. Oh, 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 kid around with Frank Gallup. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Let's not forget one of radio's great contributions to the public, the news commentators. Oh, I see, Mr. Gallup. And tonight? You are H.B. Gabriel Burl. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, H.B. Gabriel Burl. Uh, there's good news tonight, Mo. <laughs> From an unusually reliable source, we learn that the unusually reliable source I quoted yesterday... Isn't very reliable. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> but as the president of Standard Oil said to the president of Mobile Oil, your gas is as good as mine. <laughs> and now, with your permission, here is my good friend Johnny, who I will now put on the spot. Tell me, Johnny, in your opinion... And this is for the record. Why is Philip Morris so much better to smoke? Here's your answer, Gabriel. Peter, please. <laughs> it's because the Philip Morris smoker really gets what other smokers only hope to get. Right, Johnny. Philip Morris is the one leading cigarette with an exclusive difference in manufacture. The only leading cigarette scientifically proved far less irritating to the nose and throat. Remember, less irritation means more enjoyment. That's why the Philip Morris smoker really gets what other smokers only hope to get. Better taste, finer flavor, perfect smoking pleasure. Ah, uh, you and I know that, but does every smoker know that? No. Oh. <laughs> if every smoker knew what Philip Morris smokers know, they'd all change to Philip Morris, America's finest cigarette. For perfect smoking pleasure... Try a pack of Philip Morris today.
he shakes all over them. I guess he drank some milk and he wants to get them all good. Ladies and gentlemen, you shake very well. Really? Uh, yes, sir. That was uh, Tomorrow, played today by Ray Block and the Philip Morris Orchestra. And Ray, may I add, which I seldom can do, Especially the show I get on the show. Ray, that was wonderful. I like the way the orchestra follows you from one racetrack to another. And now, let us continue our salute to radio as we present Radio Forum tonight. Radio Forum tonight. The question If you have a lady in the balcony, why tell Dr. IQ? Thank you, Mr. Gallup. We're ready now for questions from the floor. Let's start here with this tall gentleman in the aisle teaching his girl how to swim. <laughs> Young man, you have a question? Uh, yes. Mr. Burrow, this year my organization voted you the radio comedian most likely to succeed. Oh, thank you. Tell me, who, who did you vote last year as the comedian most likely to succeed? You. We'll keep trying. <laughs> thank you. Let us go on. All right, this young man with the chinchilla sideburns. Um, young man, what is your name? My name is Oxidol Sparkle. <laughs> Oxidol Sparkle? Yeah, it's the soap. Every one of my family is named after a soap. I got a brother named Ivory. Ivory? Yeah. Why? He's 99 and 44, 100 percent. 99 and 41, 400 percent what? We ain't found out yet. <laughs> You mean everyone in your family is named after soap that describes him? Oh, sure. Even my baby brother. I see. What's his name? Does. <laughs> All right, Oxford. All you have a question that has to do with radio. Oh, yeah. I got a question. But you won't let me say what I want to say anyway. Of course I not. I just have to open my mouth and you'll say I'm out of order. No, I won't. You ask a question to talk and then you try and muzzle it. No, but I... What, think... are you an investigating committee or something? No, I... This is my country. And nobody can stop me from shooting off and drive me for those. I know, but I... Yeah. Gregory Peck. <laughs> oh, please, sit down. Now, let's hear from the fairer sex. Uh, all right, this lady in the corner breading the codfish balls. Uh, young lady, uh, what is your name? Tallulah Feeney. I'm a homemaker. I see. And you have, you have a question? Yeah, how can I stop my husband, Brentwood, from bringing home them prizes from quiz shows? Our living room looks like a push cart. Your husband brings home a lot of prizes? We're loaded with electrical stuff. Washing machines, irons, vacuum cleaners. If you can plug it in, we got it. Really? Last week he went to take it or leave it. Take it or leave it? He took it, but they caught him. He was eliminated? Yeah, but he come back to win the giant jackpot. He answered the question? No, he had the biggest pot. <laughs> Good for him. I met my husband, Brentwood, on one of them giveaway shows. You did? Eh? Yeah, they blindfolded me and told me the first thing I touched, I could have. Yes? I felt around and touched Brentwood. You touched Brentwood? How come? His nose was cold. I thought it was the knob on a refrigerator. <laughs> 
I see. The thing that drove me nuts was when he went on truth and consequences. He was on truth and consequences? Ralph Edwards made him pretend for a week that he was a young housewife. You mean for a week your husband acted like a young housewife? It was murder. Every night after dinner, he got on my lap and pestered me for a mink coat. And for acting like a young housewife, did he get a prize? Yeah, they give him a book. It sure scared him. What was the name of the book? So you're going to have a baby. Thank you, Mrs. Stevens. Thank you, very much. And now, as a fitting climax to this forum, let us extend an official welcome to the programs returning to the air as we all join together and sing. The comedy shows are back, it's true. Do da. Ho ha. Hope an element of the blue. Oh, ho ha, hey. Oh, watch the comedian sing and dance. Do da. Ho ha. Some will even drop their pants. Every week. 
That was really wonderful, Dick. Wonderful. Well, we've done a lot of joshing about radio tonight. I think it's time for some bouquets. Flower bouquets? Yeah. Yeah. Frankly, I was quite proud this weekend when I read that at their first annual conference, the National Broadcasting Company at its stations announced that beginning January 1st, no mystery or crime programs will be heard on this network before children's bedtime. Gee, that's fine. Yes, they found that these programs overstimulate children, make them nervous. Haven't you found that so with your son, Junior? I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Good dovetailing. Just this week... When I went through with Junior, Mr. Gallup, I, let me tell you about it. My wife and I were home. Junior! Junior, come home! Oh, darling, this is awful. It's dark and Junior's still out. Junior, come home! He's getting to be a regular lassie. <laughs> Close the window, dear. It's no use. Milton, we have to do something about him. This is the fourth night in a row he's gnawed through his leash. It's, it's those crime programs that he listens to. Four in the morning, he sneaks into our bedroom and holds lighted matches to the soles of my feet and yells, Take that, Flatfoot. He can only get some sleep. I know. He's the only kid in the neighborhood who has Benzedrin on his Wheaties. <laughs> oh, here he comes. They lost women with their diamond rings. Please admit now. I'll teach you to stay out after dark. Milton, you know what the doctor said about slapping Junior on the top of his head. I avoided the point. <laughs> now, Junior, Junior, darling, sit down. Daddy has something to tell you. Okay, take it slow. Wait for your last. Junior, you are not going to listen to any more of those crime programs. Of course, you know this means I leave home. Junior, I wish you wouldn't keep saying that. You build up Mummy and Daddy's hopes, but you never go. <laughs> now, Junior, Junior, get this. I want you to understand this. Starting tonight, you're going to get some sleep. Now, go to bed. You're kidding. No, go to bed. Hey, Pop. Yes. I got news for you. Are you ready? Yes. Are you set? Yes. Are you tuned in? Yes. I'm not going to bed. Junior! <laughs> you are going to bed, and that's final. Okay. Clear the deck. Here it comes. No, Junior, please. Oh, God, wait, no, 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 Junior! Junior! Where's the guy? Junior! Where's the guy? Junior! Chewing on my shoes. <laughs> Darling, this settles it. The first thing tomorrow morning, we're taking him to a child psychiatrist. Um, excuse me, miss. Uh, we're the Burls. We we have an appointment. Of course, Dr. Clyde will be right out. Oh. <laughs> uh, junior, Junior, put your clothes back on. This is the waiting room. <laughs> And this is Junior. <laughs> Junior! You see what we mean, Doctor? Doctor, if he would only sleep. Why, it's just an act of imagination. Instead of the crime programs, let him listen to something soothing. A radio bedtime story. It'll lull his mind. <laughs> now I'll go in with him. Watch yourself, Doctor. He's tricky. <laughs> Mr. Burl, I've handled hundreds of youngsters. Step inside, Sonny. Okay, Pop. 
folks, we're through. Let's go. Well, Doctor, uh, how did it go? Fine. Quick, somebody, give me a cigarette. Doctor, will he be all right? Oh, everything is well. Another night, boy. Good, good. I'll bring Junior back to you tomorrow. You're kidding. No, no, I want you to see him every day. No, not that. I'll kill myself, not that I do. I'll kill myself. Wait a minute. Don't you kill myself, dude. Almost time for that bedtime story Dr. Clyde suggested. Oh, good, darling. Junior? Junior, come here. What is it now? Junior, sit down. We're all going to listen to a radio program. I'll turn on the radio. This is station KLOP. And here, kiddies, is your old Uncle Sleepwell with another adventure of little Josephine in Bingo Bingo Land. Milton, Junior's eyes are closed. Isn't he adorable? <laughs> Good evening, kiddies. Well, this is Uncle Sleepwell again. When we left little Josephine yesterday, she was walking through the jungle. Suddenly, she stopped and said... What's that? <laughs> An elephant had stepped on little Josephine's foot. Slowly, it crushed her toes. Slowly, the elephant rolled over Josephine. One by one, her ribs snapped. <laughs> all around her, gleaming eyes of tigers, lions, panthers. And then they all sprang at her. They tore at her. She tried to run. There was no escape. Tomorrow, kiddies, and find out what happened to little Josephine. Pleasant dreams. What happened to little Josephine? Junior, Junior, go to bed. Bed? No, no, I'll see those gleaming eyes. Those breaking bones. <laughs> what happened to little Josephine? Yes, what happened to little Josephine? Shame on you, darling. Now, take Junior to bed and stop acting like a baby. <laughs> it was silly. It was only a bedtime story. It's a... Make believe. Come, Junior. You're so nice. What do you like that? Imagine scaring kids like that. Where's that phone? I'll tell him something. Here we Hello? Hello, station KLOP? Let me talk to Uncle Sleepwell. Yes. Hello, Uncle Sleepwell? I want to ask you something. What happened to little Josephine? <laughs> tomorrow? Well, I can't wait till tomorrow. I won't be able to sleep. Those gleaming eyes, those screams. <laughs> Please. What happened to little Josephine? What happened to little Josephine? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I'll be back just as soon as I get my nerves restrung. In the meantime, here is Mr. Gallup to say... Philip Morris is the only leading cigarette scientifically proved far less irritating to the nose and throat. Remember, less irritation means more enjoyment. That's why the Philip Morris smoker really gets what other smokers only hope to get. 
Better taste, finer flavor, perfect smoking pleasure. Yes, it's true. If every smoker knew what Philip Morris smokers know, they'd all change to Philip Morris. Made in America by Americans to please American taste. Philip Morris, America's finest cigarette. Thank you. Philip Morris is happy to join the National Broadcasting Company in saluting the United Nations during this United Nations Week. Remember, there's a you in United Nations. Good night, folks. The National Broadcasting Company. This next one, y'all, is a real favorite of mine. I I just I, I just love this one. It's called The Mysterious Traveler. And um oh shoot, I got oh yeah. I started to say I got so excited I forgot the name of it. But it's called Beware of Tomorrow. Ooh, doesn't that sound chilly? <laughs> the mysterious traveler. <laughs> This is the mysterious traveler inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip and it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves and be comfortable if you can. Midnight, and an old automobile is driving along a narrow road through the woods. At a point where a second road, even narrower, crosses the first, the car stops. Hey, uh, young fella, this is the professor's place. Uh, is it? All I can see is woods. Uh, it's up that road about 50 yards. Look sharp, and you can see the light shining between them two trees. Huh? Oh, yes, I see it now. Then I guess I get out here. Uh, Would you hand me my bag, Sheriff Ramsey? Right. Here you are. Thanks. And that's a dollar I owe you, right? Yep. Thank you. You know the professor, do you? Yes. I was Professor Clark's laboratory assistant back in college ten years ago. Oh. Why? I was thinking maybe... Maybe you could drop a hint to him. A hint? What kind of a hint? Well, if there's been some talk in town of running him and that man of his, that Barton, fell out of the county. Running Professor Clark? Oh, you're not serious. Yep. Of course, it's just talk. So far. But, but what has anybody got against Professor Clark? 
There isn't a milder man in the world. Well, maybe so, but folks has got wind of what happened at the state penitentiary over in Hillvale last year. Sheriff, you're talking in riddles. What did happen? The professor went over there when they hanged Richard, that hauled-up killer. Uh-huh. And the warden gave the professor the murderer's brain. That's what happened. Oh, what of it? Professor Clark is a great authority on nerve and brain tissues. Maybe he wanted it for research purposes. Yeah, I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just telling you how folks are talking. They think he's keeping that brain in a big glass jar and making it grow. Oh, that's perfectly ridiculous. Well, they don't think so. They got the notion that brain is as big as a bull calf by now. And they're afraid someday it'll escape. <laughs> sure, for a minute I was taking you seriously. A brain as big as a calf? Oh, I'm not saying I ever believed it, but... It'd be a good idea if the professor would give folks a notion of what he's really doing in that laboratory of his. With that Barton fella to help him. Then maybe the talk would die down. I understand. All right, Sheriff, I'll mention it to him. Well, then I'll be getting on. Good night, young fella. Good night, Sheriff. Right up that road, about 50 yards. You can't miss it. A few moments later, Dr. Richard Dale was knocking on the door of an old stone house almost hidden among the trees. A frail, white-haired old man answered the door. An old man who could hardly speak in his joy as he gripped Richard Dale's hand. He led the way down a long hall to a great room where strange equipment took up almost every inch of space. Retorts and electric furnaces. Generators, batteries, and great glass vats. Dr. Dale stared around him in intense curiosity as Professor Clark helped him off with his hat and coat. There. Now, sit down, Dick, my boy. Sit down and let me get a good look at you. Ah, so, you got my letter? Yes, yes, of course you did, or you wouldn't be here. Uh, thanks, Professor. Yes, I got your letter. And it made me so curious I took the first train. You promised me a surprise. Well, is this it? This amazing laboratory? <laughs> no, no, my boy. I'll come to that in a moment after you've met Barton, my assistant. Barton? I, I don't seem to know the name. Should I? No, he's not famous yet. But he will be. He's been with me only a few months. But I couldn't get along without him. He certainly sounds interesting. <laughs> You'll like him. I'm sure you will. Oh, uh, Barton. Yes, Professor? Dr. Dale has arrived. I want you to meet him. Why, of course. How do you do, Dr. Dale? We both of us have been looking forward to your visit. Uh, how do you do? Yes, the professor's letter made me so curious I couldn't stay away. I'm still wondering what the great surprise is he promised uh, me. You'll see, Dick, in just a minute. My curiosity's at fever pitch. Well, it's time to satisfy it. Uh, Barton... Is Alpha making some coffee? Yes, he started it when we heard the car. Alpha? Who is he? Our general man of all work. A truly amazing fellow. <laughs> ah, here he comes now. Shall Alpha serve coffee? Good heavens. I said you'd be surprised, Dick. He's not human. He's a machine. A robot. Yes, my boy. An artificial man made from metal and synthetic brain tissue. A machine man? 
but walking and talking. He's not very pretty, but then the professor was mostly interested in making sure he worked. He must weigh a ton. No, only about 300 pounds. You see, Alpha's mostly aluminum and other light alloys. Inside his aluminum plates are some new batteries I devised, together with miles of fine silver wire and a dozen electric motors. And to give you only the highlights... It's a good thing you did keep this for a surprise. If you had mentioned it in your letter, I, I don't think I would have believed you. Shall Alpha serve coffee now? Yes, Alpha. Put it on this table here and pour a cup for Dr. Dale. Alpha, do so. Still can't make myself believe it. Alpha poured coffee. Go on, Dick. Take it. Huh? Oh, oh, oh yes, of course. Uh, Al, thank uh, you. Alpha, this is Dr. Dale, our guest. Any orders he gives are to be obeyed. Alpha understands. He looks clumsy, but but he poured the coffee as well as a man could. Yes, my boy. Alpha has capabilities you'd never suspect to look at him. Here, here I'll show you. Alpha. Alpha hears. The fireplace needs more wood. Put on that big log there. Alpha, do it. Alpha has log. Now, break it in half. Alpha, break it. Six. He's breaking it with his hand. Alpha, put log on fire. Good. We won't need you anymore tonight, Alpha. You can go back to your room now. Alpha is going. Be sure to switch off your batteries. They're going to need recharging tomorrow. Alpha Thunder. That's the most incredible thing I ever saw. You see, Dick, I try to treat Alpha as if he were really a man. So I give him a room of his own. Like any machine, he's completely inactive when his batteries have been switched off. But his brain continues to function. It's an artificial protoplasm that I spend eight years creating... It's the only thing that makes him different from any other machine. But it means Alpha can think. Think like a man. A machine that can walk and talk and think. Ah, but Alpha's not the only surprise I have for you, Dick. He's not? No, I have another one. Even more astonishing. Uh, but you'll have to wait until morning to learn about that. Because now it's time we were both in bed. I suppose you're right. It's after one. I know you must be tired. I'm getting old, so I'm going up to bed now, Dick. Uh, Barton will show you to your room. Of course, Professor. I'll see you in the morning, then. Yes. We'll have a long talk tomorrow. Good night. Good night, Professor Clark. Oh, uh, Dr. Dale. Uh, yes, Barton? Could we talk for a minute before I show you to your room? Oh, yes, of course. It occurs to me the professor forgot to tell you why he asked you here. Oh, yes, that's true. And I've been so interested, I forgot to ask. It was his hope that you'd stay indefinitely and help us carry forward the work we've been doing here. Stay indefinitely? Well, I have my own work. Don't and I... say no yet. 
Now, just think, Dr. Dale. Alpha is stronger and more rugged than a man. He needs no rest, no food. Yet he can do the work of three men. He can plow, reap, run machinery. Think how much drudgery a million like him could lift from mankind's shoulders. Yes, 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 that's true. And already Alpha is technically obsolete. Professor Clark has the blueprints for a new machine man. As superior to Alpha as... As an airplane is to a bicycle. We want you to help us build them. Well, I'm certainly tempted. Perhaps I could arrange. Ah, excellent. And uh, now there's only one more thing I want to tell you. Yes, what is it? It's about Alpha. You must help me persuade the professor to... to dismantle him. Dismantle him? Why? He has become dangerous. Uh, I, I don't understand. Because he was the first successful machine man that the professor built. He is imperfect in many ways. He's not completely reliable. I'm afraid that someday he may escape from the house and so do some damage that would seriously upset our plans. Yes, yes, that could easily happen. The local inhabitants are unfriendly enough as it is. I know. Sheriff Ramsey was warning me about that tonight. All right, I'll speak to Professor Clark about it tomorrow. Ah, good. Then I'll show you to your room now, if you wish. <laughs> yes. I am sleepy if you'll just come this way. His mind in a whirl of amazement, Dr. Dale retired and finally fell into an uneasy sleep. How long he had slept, he did not know. And abruptly he woke with a scream ringing in his ears. The cry came from downstairs. Dr. Dale leaped from his bed and raced down to the lower floor. In the lower hall, he found Barton hammering on the heavy door of the laboratory. Professor Clark! Professor Clark, what's wrong? What? What's up? It's the professor. I heard him call for help. Huh. Yes, so did I. It woke me the up. The door's locked. He must be in there, but there's no sound in there now. Well, we've got to break the door down. Yes. Put your shoulder beside mine. Right. You ready? Ready. And shut. Professor Clark, where are you? Professor Clark. He's not here. Yes. Here he is, lying on the floor beside the window. He's been murdered. It was Alpha. It must have been. No one else could have done it. But where is Alpha? The window. It's open. He went out that day. We've got to go after him. I'm afraid it's hopeless. At night in these woods, we couldn't possibly find him. No, no, you're right. It'll be morning soon. Then I think he'll come back. He knows that he can only go a few more hours before his batteries must be recharged. Then we can capture him and destroy him. But, Barton, why did he kill the man who created him? The professor must have come down to the laboratory for some reason. Occasionally, when he couldn't sleep, he would do that. He may have decided to make some more tests of Alpha. Yes, but that doesn't explain why... During the test, something must have occurred. When Alpha returns, we can find out. Poor Professor Clark. Well, we'll have to notify the police. There's only the sheriff... In any case, I think we should wait till morning and then report the professor's death as, uh, as an accident. An accident? Yes. If the authorities learn the truth, our research may be stopped. And when Professor Clark has achieved so much, can we let it go for nothing? No, no, of course not. Dr. Dale, we must carry on his work for him. Yes, that's what he would want. Then you will help me continue it? You'll stay? Yes. Yes, I'll stay. Greatly upset by the tragedy, 
Dr. Dale returned to bed and at last fell into an uneasy sleep, haunted by dreams of Alpha, the metal monster Professor Clark had created. When he awoke, the sun was shining, and he could hear Barton moving about downstairs. He dressed and went down to find Barton getting breakfast ready. Oh, good morning, Dr. Dale. Good morning, Barton. Any sign of Alpha? Not yet. Well, we ought to start a search point. But first, I think you ought to eat breakfast. Everything's ready. All right. Some coffee anyway. Yes. Sit here. Thank you. I didn't know you were a cook as well as a lab assistant, Barton. I've uh, learned to do a lot of things since I came here. Uh, aren't you going to eat, too? I, I'm not hungry. I seldom am. But I thought that while you ate, I might outline some of the problems facing us. That's a good idea. You see, though Alpha's brain is of synthetic protoplasm, it is not completely artificial. I, I was wondering about that. Sheriff Ramsey mentioned that the professor secured a human brain from... From an executed killer, yes. The professor found that to give life to his artificial brain tissue, it was necessary to add a small amount of tissue from a real brain. I see. But the real tissue gave life to the rest. Of course. Yes, but in this instance, it may have painted Alpha's brain with a murderous impulse of a killer. Yes, that sounds plausible. So our first problem will be to obtain untainted brain tissues to blend with the artificial tissues we will make according to the professor's formula. That should give us no trouble. I can get what we need through the research laboratories where I'm connected. Ah, then that solves our worst problem. The rest will be matters of detail. Fortunately, there's enough equipment here to build a dozen or so robots. Like Alpha, you mean? No. The far more advanced type Professor Clark was perfecting. And now, if you've finished... I have something to show you. Yes, I'm through. I don't feel much like eating after last night. Then come with me to the laboratory, and I'll show you the second surprise that Professor Clark had in store for you. Ah, here we are. Now, what I'm going to show you is in this box. Another robot? Yes. A second mechanical man the professor built a few months ago. This one, though, was a failure. You mean it wouldn't work? It worked too well. I don't follow. It was too intelligent. Professor Clark called it Beta. And Beta's brain power was greater than that of any human scientist who ever lived. But Beta was insane. Good Lord. He represented, however, a tremendous technical advance. Look. It looks exactly like a human being. Yes. Professor Clark used me for a model when he built Beta. It's an excellent likeness. Uh, touch the face, Doctor. Oh, all right. It feels smooth and rubbery with a hard surface underneath. The surface is a new plastic Professor Clark developed with which he could imitate exactly the appearance of human skin. Underneath is an aluminum body on which the plastic was baked. I see. Beta's hair, eyes, and teeth are all artificial, too. But he walked and talked and acted so much like a human being that no man alive could have guessed his secret. No, he would have fooled me completely. And you say he was insane? From, from the human viewpoint, yes. He considered himself superior to the human race. With his enormous brain power, he intended to make himself ruler of the world. You're a joke. Not in the least. 
That is why Professor Clark destroyed him just in time. He had made plans to take over this laboratory and construct dozens of mechanical men like himself. And then, with their help, he was going to enslave all mankind. Why? if that could happen once, it might happen again. I don't believe we should continue Professor Clark's work after all. Oh, there's no danger now, Doctor. You see, Beta also had a brain which contained tissues taken from that of the condemned murderer. But we will select the brain tissues from the highest types that are available. Yes, but even so... Then, you... Doctor, we will produce mechanical men, tireless, indestructible, who will be mankind's willing servants, who will solve for man problems he can't solve for himself. I wonder. In any case, we must proceed with the utmost caution. Of course. Doctor, listen. Someone's coming to the house. It's Alpha. He's come back. Alpha. We may need a weapon, Barton. No. I can control him. Alpha. Alpha, come here. Alpha, come. Alpha, you killed Professor Clark. Why did you do it? Professor said he would destroy Alpha. And you killed him because of that? Alpha does not want to be destroyed. But, but you're just a machine. What difference does it make to you? Alpha is machine that lives. Alpha is stronger than you. Alpha is better than you. Alpha, be quiet. We must destroy Alpha at once. You are right, Doctor. Do you hear, Alpha? You are to be punished. Alpha here. But first, we want to know where you've been. Did anyone see you? Men saw Alpha. Men saw you? What do you mean? Two men driving automobiles saw him. And what did they do? They tried to hit Alpha with automobiles. And then what happened? Alpha stopped automobile. Alpha killed one man. Killed him? Other man ran off in woods. Alpha could not find him. Alpha came back. We can't keep this a secret. No matter what happens, we must notify the authorities at once. No, wait. Let me think. We can't... The bell. There's someone at the door. I'll see who it is. You stay here. But what about Alpha? I'll switch off his batteries, then he can't move. There. Now I'll see who's at the door. Dr. Dale waited while Barton went to the door. He heard the door open and recognized the excited voice of Sheriff Ramsey speaking. Then a moment later, Barton came back into the laboratory, followed by the sheriff, who held a revolver in his hand. But, Sheriff, if you'd only let me explain... Never mind that. You're coming with me, both of you. Dr. Dale, perhaps you can reason with the sheriff. He insists that we're under arrest. Yes, and I'm taking you to the lockup. The professor, too. Where is he? Professor Clark is dead, Sheriff. Dead? He was killed last night when an experiment he was engaged in went wrong. An experiment, huh? I suppose it was an experiment that crushed the life out of him. It crushed the life out of Jed Thompson an hour ago down the road and scared Fred Jennings so bad, all he can do is jabber about monsters. It's true. The things that killed both the professor and Thompson is an experiment. It's standing there behind me. Behind? A machine. A man made out of machine. Well, don't be alarmed, Sheriff. It's perfectly harmless now. It is a machine man which Professor Clark built. Unfortunately, it got out of control. I don't believe it. 
I don't blame you, Sheriff, but that's the truth. I think I can convince you. What are you doing? Stand still. I'm simply going to switch Alpha on. There. Now he can move and speak as well as you and me. That thing talk? You're lying. You're up to something. Alpha, will you tell the Sheriff that it was you who killed Mr. Thompson? Alpha (sighs) killed him. He tried to hit Alpha with carbs. That's what the professor was up to all this time. Building that thing. Now, Sheriff, surely you realize that we are not murderers. Maybe not, but you come to jail just the same. You're partly responsible anyhow. But, Sheriff... We... Anyway, for your own protection, there's a mob on its way out here from town. They're going to burn this place down. Oh. i got to put you in jail for your own safety. They're ready to lynch you right now. Burn the place down. That's what I said. So turn that machine thing off and come along. We ain't got much time. No. All this equipment, machinery, the professor's notes, they must not be destroyed. We must stop them. Yes, Sheriff. The loss of science... Never mind science. you got your own skins to worry about. That mob means business. Let's get started. I'm afraid we can't do that, Sheriff. You can't. i got a six-shooter here that says different. We have no choice, Barton. Oh, yes, we have. Alpha, take the gun away from this man. What are you doing? Stop him! Stop him, or I... Dr. Dale, he's dead. Alpha crushed him. Yes, Dr. Dale. Now, you're a murderer. In a good cause. The life of one man or of a dozen men cannot stand in my way. You don't expect me to keep silent about this, do I you? think you will. Alpha. Alpha. He doesn't answer. His batteries have gone dead. That last burst of energy must have drained him dry. But it makes no difference. I think it does. A big difference. There, see this? The sheriff rams his revolver with three bullets still in it. Now put your hands up. I must explain something to you, Doctor. You can talk, but if you move, I'll shoot. I only want to say that nothing is going to interfere with my plan to build more of the improved form of robots that Professor Clark perfected before his death. Robots who look and act so much like men, no one can detect them. They'll never be built. I intend to destroy all of Professor Clark's notes. They will be built by me. I shall build ten, a hundred, a thousand... Then I shall lead them with their superior intelligence to the mastery of the world. You're mad. Of course I should have guessed. No, Doctor, that's not the answer. I shall tell you the truth. And then you must die. Stand still or I'll shoot. You remember last night when the professor said he had another surprise for you? An even greater surprise than Alpha? Yes. That surprise, Doctor, was Beta, the second robot. So perfect it looked like a man, but so intelligent that human beings were children in comparison. But Beta was destroyed. No, Dr. Beta was not destroyed. But you must be destroyed. Stand back. Stand back, I say. All right, then I'll shoot. And now, Doctor, your bullets are gone. You aren't even hurt. Bullets cannot harm me. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Beta, the second robot was not destroyed. But I saw him. What you saw was only an initial attempt that failed. The real beta still exists. You see, Dr. Dale, I am beta. You? Yes. I, too, am a mechanical man. And now, you must die. No. No, stay away from me. Stay away! This is the mysterious traveler again. 
what happened to Dr. Dale, why he's still alive, but of course under observation in a hospital. In fact, it was he who told me the story. You see, the mob that was coming to burn down the house arrived just in time to save him. But Barton, or Beta as he called himself, escaped. He could hardly have survived all those bullets if he had been human, could he? I wonder if the story is true. Do you suppose that somewhere a strange individual who is really a robot is making other mechanical men preparing to carry out Barton's plan to rule the world? Oh, you haven't time to talk about it now. You're getting off here. Well, I'm sorry. But perhaps we'll meet again soon. I take this same train every week. At this same time. You've just heard Chapter 19 of The Mysterious Traveler, a series of dramas of the strange and terrifying, brought to you each week by Station WOR. In tonight's story, Beware of Tomorrow, Will Hare played Dr. Dale, and Don Randolph played Barton. Also featured were Maurice Tarplin and Philip Clark. The Mysterious Traveler, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, is directed by Jock McGregor. Original music was played by Doc Whipple. Listen next week to a tale titled The Accusing Corpse. Another tale of the mysterious traveler. The mysterious traveler is presented over WOR Mutual every Sunday at 7 over most of these stations. This is Mutual. we go with another favorite i just love phil harris and i love um him and his wife together uh so this is from the phil harris and alice faye show and it's called cadillac in the swimming pool and and i hope you enjoy it as much as i do good health to all from rexall Yes, it's Sunday. Time for the Phil Harris Alice Fay Show. Presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and 10,000 independent Rexall Family Druggists. Good evening. This is your Rexall Family Druggist. Taking a little time from behind the prescription counter this Sunday evening to speak for all 10,000 of us. The 10,000 independent druggists who have added the word Rexall to our own store names. You can always tell us by the orange and blue Rexall sign on our windows. The sign means that we carry the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company. They range all the way from aspirin to penicillin, and they're as fine and pure and dependable as science can make them. We independent druggists recommend them to our customers because we know you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. 
now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Mr. Scott of the Rexall Company is having a lawn party at his home this afternoon. Many distinguished persons have been invited, and as we look in, we find Mr. and Mrs. Scott going over their guest list. Grace, let's check the guest list once more and make sure that all the important people have been invited. Very well, dear. This is the list. Mr. and Mrs. Phil Harris, Mr. Frank Remley... No, 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 dear. (laughs) Not the names I crossed out. Just read the ones we invited. Darling, I already invited the Harrises. I think she's a charming woman. So do I. It's that Tennessee bull weevil I object to. (laughs) Must we have him? Well, I think we should. After all, he's the star of your radio program, and you're the one who hired him. I know. (laughs) I know. You signed him for two years, and he still has another year to go. Stop pouring salt on my wound. (laughs) Ever since Harris has been on the air for Rexhall, I've been a nervous wreck. I've got pains all over. My right arm is muscle-bound. Darling, I don't follow you. What's Phil Harris got to do with your arm being muscle-bound? I'll explain. Because of me, Phil Harris is on the air every Sunday night. So? So every Monday morning, I have to write letters to 10,000 independent druggists apologizing. (laughs) Uh, Grace, please tell me you didn't invite that Frank Remley character. Well, I called him at his office, but I couldn't reach him. His office? (laughs) Yes, dear. Mr. Harris gave me the number, but Mr. Remley was too busy to talk to me. Remley was too busy to talk to you? Yes, he was watching a television show. And the bartender wouldn't disturb him. (laughs) Well, thank goodness you couldn't reach him. Without Remley, I can stand Harris for an hour or so. Mm, I'm afraid you'll have to tolerate him a little longer than that. Mrs. Harris is lending us some garden chairs, and he's bringing them over this morning. I told him he might as well stay on for the party. Oh, goody. (laughs) A whole day with old wavy wig. Phil, will you please hurry up? We have to get those chairs over to the Scots this morning. All right, honey. Wait till I finish my milk. I've only got about three fingers left to drink. Phil. Phil, do you suppose the Scots invited us just because they needed chairs? Oh, don't be silly. We were probably the first ones on their guest list. Daddy, can we go to this party? No, I'm sorry, kids, but this is just for grown-ups. You see, they're going to have a lot of important people there. Daddy, are you important? Am I (laughs) important? Alice, you've got to have a talk with this child. (laughs) She's got to be straightened out on a few things. Tell her how important I am. Go on. Tell her all the things that make me important. 
No, you'd better tell her. You've got them memorized. (laughs) Who else has been invited to the Scotch party, Phil? I don't know, but you can bet that only the best people in town are going to be there. Oh, you weren't invited, eh, Philip? (laughs) Well, looky, 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 here comes (laughs) Schnucky. For your information, I was invited, Willie. I got a resvip. A resvip? Yes, R-S-V-P, resvip. <laughs> Scotty insisted that Alice and me come to the party. He insisted, indeed. He wanted Alice, and he felt that he was forced to ask you. He's probably hoping that you won't show up. William, why are you always so terse with me? <laughs> I've done nothing to warrant your caustic diatribe. <laughs> What was that? Just a little something Ronald Coleman laid on me. <laughs> anyway, Phil, was Frankie invited? No, he wasn't, honey, and I can't understand why. Well, Mr. Scott didn't invite Francis because he doesn't want him, and I hope he has sense enough to stay away. Well, don't worry about Remley. He don't go to parties where he's not wanted. He's a very sensitive guy, and he never... Co- Come in! Ah, oh, hello, Frankie. Hiya, Curly. How do you like this new suit I bought for Scott's party? Hi, Alice. Well, if it isn't little old sensitive Frankie. Hey, Remley, I'm glad you're going. Scott sent you an invitation, huh? No. (laughs) What time are we supposed to be at the party? Francis, surely you're not serious about going to the party. Why not? Mr. Scott didn't ask you because he doesn't like you. Well, I don't like him either, but I'm not going to be petty about it. Now, wait a minute, Frankie. You can't go someplace where you're not wanted. Oh, look, why don't we do this, Phil? Let Frankie come with us when we take the chairs to Mr. Scott. And when he sees Frankie, he'll probably invite him and everything will be all right. If Mr. Scott doesn't want him, he can always leave. Sure, we'll never miss the old sourpuss. (laughs) Hey, we ought to have a great time at this party. Sure we will. Hey, do you think they might ask me to sing? If they're smart, they won't. Now, just a moment, Mr. Remley. I'm tired of having you make fun of my voice. I can sing, and I'm going to show you. Oh, Phil, not now. We have to get the chairs over. They can wait. I'm going to prove once and for all that I have a great voice. And I'm going to prove it right now. Go ahead. When you get through singing, call me. I'll be inside listening to the frost warnings. Young Johnny Jones, he had a cute little boat. And all the girlies he would take for a float. Had girlies on the shore, cute little peaches by the score. But Johnny was a Weisenheimer, you know. His steady girl was Flo. And every Sunday afternoon, she'd jump in his boat and they would spoon. And then he'd row, row, row. Way up that river, he would row, row, row. A hug he'd give her then, he'd kiss her now and then. She would tell him when they'd fool around and fool around And then they'd kiss again and then they'd row, row, row Way up that river they would row, oh, 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 oh. Then he'd drop both his oars, take a few more encores And then they'd row, row, row In Johnny's boat he had a cute little seat And all the kisses that he stole were so sweet And he knew just how to row He was a rowing Romeo He had an island where the trees were so grand He knew just where to land Then tales of love he'd tell the flow Until it was time for them to go And then he'd row, row, row 
right up that river he would row so slow. Ah, uh, he'd give her then, he'd kiss her now and then. She would tell him when he'd fool around and fool around and he'd kiss again. <laughs> Way up that river he would row, just he and flow. With her head on his chest, he'd take a few measures rest, and then he'd row, 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 just he and Florence. Row, row, row right into heaven. Row, row, he had no Johnson Motors, so Johnny and Flo would row, row, row. How'd you like that, Frankie? It's pretty cold in Pomona. <laughs> ah, what do you know? How'd you like it, Alice? They're firing the smudge pots in Redlands. <laughs> oh, come on, Phil. You and Frankie put the chairs in the car and we'll get over to the Scots, huh? Phil, Mr. Scott's car is in the driveway, so you'd better park out front here, Okay, huh? I'll park right here. All right, come on, Frankie. Give me a hand with these chairs. Oh, I don't... hello there. Oh, hiya, Chief. Hello, Mr. Scott. Oh, uh, it's good to see you. I must say you look charming. You know, you get younger and prettier every day. How do you do it? I owe it all to clean living. <laughs> yes. Someday I might make my secret of eternal youth available to the public. Oh, what a magnanimous gesture. <laughs> Mrs. Harris, I'm glad you and your uh, man of tomorrow <laughs> could uh, come over early. As long as I'm here early, I'll go in and see if I can help Mrs. Scott. Oh, huh? thank you. Thank you very much. Harris, can I help you take the chairs out of the car? No, I brought someone along to help me. Yeah, I'm here, Scotty. Oh. I guess we all have days when we should have stood in bed. I hear you're having a party today, Scotty. I said I hear you're having a party today. Maybe if I don't answer, you'll go away. I, uh, I didn't get an invitation in the mail. Could it be because it was misaddressed? Or maybe you didn't put a staff on it. I can't imagine why I didn't get it. Could it be because I didn't send you one? Uh, you and your wild guesses. <laughs> Mr. Scott, uh, I brought Frankie along because I knew you, you'd want him here. After all, what would a party be like without Francis? I don't know, but we're going to find out. <laughs> Mr. Scott, let's not beat around the bush. If you don't want me, say so. I don't want you. <laughs> Let's go around the bush once more. <laughs> there must be a solution to this problem. There is. You can go home. <laughs> no, that don't appeal to me. <laughs> Remley, I'm warning you. If you insist on staying here, I'm leaving. That's the most sensible suggestion you made yet. <laughs> Remley, if you don't get out of here, I'll call... Now, wait a minute, fellas. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's not fight. Now, can't we settle this thing amicably? <laughs> I 
Mr. Scott, I think it would be nice if you, the boss, invited Frankie the employee to your social gathering. It would prove something. What? Well, it would show the world that labor and capital can travel hand in hand to an ultimate utopia. Look, I Just don't because want... our ideologies are different, don't man, we mean we can't live in the same world together? But Let's I... foster brotherly love. The spirit of true Americanism is at stake here. Yeah, remember the Maine. Yeah. Remember the Alamo. Yeah. Let's not forget what they fought for at Aproprata Protomax. <laughs> This is the land of the free, where all men are created equal. From every mountain, let freedom. Will you two stop this? Oh, I can't stand any more of this. Harris, would you mind carrying the chairs down in back of the house? We're holding the garden party around the swimming pool. Okay, Mr. Don't worry, we'll take care of everything. Remley, as long as you insist on staying, you will have to excuse me. I have to go down the street to see somebody. Who? My lawyer. I want to know if I can get an injunction against you. Goodbye. <laughs> Good old Scotty. I knew he'd invite me. <laughs> well, come on, Frankie. Let's carry these chairs down to the pool. Okay. I'll... Hey, Curly. The pool's at the bottom of that steep hill. With all these chairs, we'll have to make a few trips. Why don't we just drive your car now? That's a good idea. We can just... Yeah, but wait a minute. We'd have to move Scott's car out of the driveway. I'll tell you, look, Remley, you drive his car down to the garage, and I'll go get mine. Okay. Hey, Curly, I can't drive Scott's car down. There's no key in it. Remley, you don't need a key. It's on a hill. You can coast it down. Just release the handbrake. Oh. There she goes, Curly. Now what do I do? Oh, no, Remley, you were supposed to get in the car. <laughs> you just told me to release the handbrake. You didn't tell me to get in. Well, look at the way it's rolling down. Remley, do something. Stop it. Stop it, he said. Hey, car! Remley! Now, come on, we got to try and catch you. Hey, look, it's heading for the fence. That ought to stop it. It didn't. <laughs> Cheap lumber, I guess. Remley is heading for the pool. Well, that ought to stop it. It can't possibly go any further. Told you that would stop it. <laughs> right into the water. Don't worry. It's a new Cadillac. With those fish tails, it should be able to swim. <laughs> Friendly, it ain't swimming. It's sitting on the bottom. I ought to take him with a better temper. <laughs> Let's not get excited. We got a simple problem. All we got to do is figure how to get a Cadillac out of a swimming pool. That's all we got to figure. That's all. All we got to do is to write General Motors and ask them how to salvage one of their convertible submarines. <laughs> Frankie, we got to get it out of there before somebody discovers it. If we ever get caught with that thing. Uh-oh, here comes Hank, the night watchman. Phil, what was that crash I heard out here? It sounded like... Phil! There's a car in the pool. Carpool? Don't be silly, honey. Well, they haven't had carpool since the war ended. Why, it's Mr. Scott's Cadillac. How did it get in there? He's a very sloppy parker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you see, he parks his car in the pool every night. 
And that way, when he leaves in the morning, it's already washed. <laughs> Cut it out. Did you fellas do this? Well, uh, well, we might as well tell her the truth, Remley. Yeah, I guess we'll have... All right, all right. How did it happen? Well, Mr. Scott left his car standing out in the hot sun. I see. And it got overheated, so it went in for a dip. <laughs> oh, Alice, do you expect us to believe that? <laughs> Yeah, look, honey, you're going to have to come up with a better excuse than that. Uh, just how did you get that car in the pool? Well, I was talking to Mrs. Scott, and... Wait a minute, I didn't do anything. <laughs> oh, fellas, I don't know how you got it in there, but you'll have to get it out before Mr. and Mrs. Scott see it. How? Well, use our car and tow it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Now, look, honey, you go in and keep Mrs. Scott occupied so she doesn't see what we're doing. All huh? right, but make sure you get that car out. Mother wanted me to marry a lawyer. Father wanted me to marry a doctor. But did I listen? Nah. I had to be a wise guy and wind up with a trap drummer. Well, I had my own ratchet. Come on, Ratch, let's get your car. Remley, look, I've been thinking about something. What? My car's too light to pull that heavy car out of that pool. Yeah, you might... Wait a minute, look. Scott's got another car in the garage, a big Lincoln. Lincoln? Yeah, that ought to be able to pull it out. Yeah, now look, I'll get a heavy chain out of my trunk and you back the Lincoln up to the pool. Huh? Remi... Wait a minute. Come on. Back it, I said, up to it, not in it. We got the chain around the rear axle of the Lincoln. All we got to do now is put the other end of the chain around the bumper of the Cadillac. That's all. Well, which one of us is going to dive down and attach it? That's simple. You. <laughs> it ain't that simple. I ain't going. <laughs> Why don't you do it? I can't swim. Then you're the guy to do it. You'll get down to the bottom faster. <laughs> now, look, Remley, somebody's got to go down there. Go that... somebody else. I ain't no fish. I ain't... Here. Well, if it ain't Julius, the Barracuda. <laughs> Little carp face himself. Yeah. What are you guys up to? Why you got that Lincoln on the lawn? Because we got a Cadillac in the pool. Oh, that's different. You got a what in the where? We got a Cadillac in the pool. I gotta report these guys to the juvenile authorities. They just do these things to derange my immature brain. He's telling you that we got a car in the pool. Now, if you don't believe it, look for yourself. Yeah, bend over the pool and look straight down. Let me see. Hey, you guys ain't kidding. Curly's bending over. So he is. Shall we, Conga? Let's. One, two, three, kick! Look at that, he went right straight down. Yeah. <laughs> Look at him, Donna. Hey, Remley. Huh? Quick, while he's still on the bottom, throw him the chain. Yeah. Oh, look, he's surfacing. Man the harpoon. Right. What are you talking wise guys or something? Julius, as long as you're swimming, do us a favor. Dive down to the bottom and attach the chain to that bumper. Go bang your heads together. I'm getting out of this pool. 
Not until you attach this chain. Don't tell me what to do. I'm climbing out of here. Quit stomping on my little fingers. Will you put the chain on? All right, all right, you monsters. Probably safer down there anyway. Here I go. How long do you think it'll take him? Oh, he'll be down there about ten minutes. <laughs> Can a person stay underwater that long? Sure. And stay alive? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> hey, look, he's coming up already. Oh. <laughs> well, I got it attached. Thanks, kid. You can come on out now. I'll get even with you. One of these days, if I stay away from you guys, I'm going to grow up. And when I do... Oh, stop beeping, will you? Get the water out of your head. Look, Julius, Frankie and me are going to get to Lincoln and start pulling that Cadillac up. Now, you stay here and let us know how it's coming out. Okay. Fellas, the best way to do this is leave a little slack in the chain and then start with a sudden jerk. Wait a minute. <laughs> Listen, kid, don't tell me how to do this. I'm a grown man, and I know more about it than you do. Now, come on, Frankie, get in. Yeah. How are you going to do this, Curly? I got it all figured out. Best thing to do is to leave a little slack in the chain and then start with a sudden jerk. <laughs> Let her go. Hang on, here we go. Right. Hey, Remley, we must be getting it out. We're moving. Yeah. She's awful heavy, though. It's dragging. Hey, Curly, isn't the lawn level here? Yeah. Why is the car pointing uphill? Hey, fellas! What? You better come back here and get your rear wheels! Rear wheels? Oh, Frankie, what did you do? Let's get out and look. Oh, Remley, look, we ripped out the whole rear end out of this car. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> Let's keep it plural. We did it. Now, what are we going to tell Mr. Scott? Don't tell him anything. Maybe he won't notice it. <laughs> he won't notice it. How can he help it? Look at the way it's squatting. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Mr. Scott's got the only link, and it starts from a crouching position. <laughs> Will you kids get going? We're in enough trouble. Uh-oh, Remley. Here comes Scotty. He's going to murder us when he Remley, sees Remley, I just saw my lawyer, and he said I can't do a thing. So I fired him. But I've got half a mind. You got half a Lincoln toe. <laughs> what are you talking? Oh no! What happened to my car? Is something wrong with it? Something wrong? Half of it's here and half of it's down there. Look at it. <laughs> yeah, it looks a little bit like a dachshund. <laughs> oh. My beautiful six thousand dollars special Lincoln cut in half. What can I do with it? Do what the Santa Fe does with the chief. Run it in two sections. <laughs> oh, you two. I'll, I'll take care of you later. Right now, I'd better tow this out of the driveway before my guests come. I'll get my Cadillac. I... My Cadillac. It was over in the group. Where's my Cadillac? Oh, that's in the pool. <laughs> oh, in the pool. In the pool! Oh, no! No, 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 no! 
my Cadillac in the pool, my Lincoln torn in half, both my cars ruined. What am I going to do? Sell your house and move near a bus stop. <laughs> You're responsible for this. I'm in no condition to have a party, but at least I'll have the pleasure of taking care of you two. Come here. <laughs> He's not having a party. We might as well go, Colonel. Yeah, ain't no sense in hanging around. So long, Scotty. Come back here. Come. No. He didn't want me before, so I'm not going to stay now. And if Frankie can't stay, I'm not going to stay either. All I want to do is get my hands on you. Curly's gaining on us. If I catch you, I'll tear you limb from limb. I'll rip you apart. I'll throttle you with my bare hands. Full speed ahead, Remley. Come back, you coward! and Phil will be back in just a moment. But first, here's your Rexall family druggist. Everyone knows that vitamins are necessary to life, but a lot of people don't know how scientists measure these mysterious substances to be sure they're present in vitamin products in the proper quantity. The other day I told a customer that in Rexall's laboratory, certain vitamins are measured by seeing how brightly they glow. Glow? What on earth do you mean? (laughs) Just what I said, ma'am. Rexall's men of science can check small amounts of certain vitamins in a product by determining how much light they give off. Look, I know Rexall scientists are good, but this you've got to explain. Well, here's how it's done. First, the vitamin is treated with a chemical that makes it fluorescent under ultraviolet light. In other words, it glows. I'm with you so far. Then it's placed in a machine where a photoelectric cell, you might call it an electric eye receives this glow and transmits it in terms of electricity to a special kind of meter. The amount of electricity registered on this meter is the exact measurement or weight of the vitamin. Believe it or not, this method can measure vitamin substances down to one gamma, and that, ma'am, is one twenty-eight millionth of an ounce. No wonder you never hesitate to recommend Rexall drug products. Me and 10,000 other independent Rexall druggists, ma'am. And it's only natural. You see, we know that all of the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company get the same kind of up-to-the-minute testing, the same patient painstaking care. That's why in every store with the orange and blue Rexall sign on the windows, there's a family druggist who will tell you, you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. You and Frankie really messed up Mr. Scott's party yesterday. I wonder what he's going to do with his two cars. He's trying to sell them. He's got an ad here in the paper. Look, it says, for sale cheap. A disjointed Lincoln and a waterlogged Cadillac. (laughs) Hey, do you think he's mad at me and Frankie? I think so, dear. Look what it says underneath. For sale, even cheaper. One left-handed guitar player and a curly-headed band leader. (laughs) He can't sell Remley. He belongs to me. (laughs) 
This program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. Included in today's cast were Lois Corbett and Gail Gordon. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Tetley. Alice Fay appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Texas. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Okay, folks, now it's time for my um, strawberry and whipped cream. And I started this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, or Well, it's been more like a month ago now because I started recording for you Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which has like 52 parts. So it'll take me 13 weeks to get through all of it. Oh, aren't y'all impressed? I'm so good at math. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, one week I didn't have arts because of a few glitches that we had. So, uh, and then last week I did a children's program, so I didn't want to do Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde um, inside a children's program. So uh, the rest of the weeks I'm going to be doing him as my strawberry so uh, this week you get parts 5 through 8 ladies and gentlemen we now present George Edwards in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We have now seen both sides of the strange character of Henry Jekyll. The streak of evil which induced him to bring about the moral and physical destruction of his schoolmate David Markham, and the sublime which impelled him to plunge into the boiling seas off the coast of Scotland and rescue some fishermen whose boat had been driven on the rocks. In doing this, he suffers some minor injuries, and his mother and Margaret Utterson, the girl who is already playing a significant role in his life, come up to nurse him back to health. Our next scene opens in the little shooting box on the Scottish moors in which Henry and his father were staying. Well, Henry, my boy, how's the leg this morning? Oh, as well as ever it was, Father, thanks. My word has cleared up wonderfully in the last few days. No trace of that stiffness. Oh, none at all. In fact, I'm feeling so well, I'm going to take Margaret out for a walk along the cliffs. I'd like to have one last look over that sea before we leave. Well, I'll be sorry to go back. London isn't half as nice as being up here. I wish we could stay another month. Then come out now and let's make the most of our last day. We'll take something to eat and stay out till dark. I'd love to. Watch out for storms. There were some rather ugly-looking clouds over the horizon a while ago. Oh, we'll take raincoats. And there's generally a shepherd's cottage to shelter in. Sure you won't come too? Oh, not me. I'm going to take a stroll down to the post office to see if there's any mail up from London. And then I'll sit by the fire and read the papers in comfort. And uh, you, Mother? I'm going along to Katie McBride to get that shawl she's weaving for me. Then come along, Margaret. We'll leave them to it and go out and get our lungs full of the Atlantic gale. Does the wind ever stop blowing here, I wonder? Wrap yourself up well, dear, and don't be too late home. We'll be all right, dear. Don't worry over us. Call the dog's head, 
I'll meet you down at the gate, Margaret. Don't forget to bring plenty to eat. This driver takes me as hungry as a well, it's good to see the boy striding down the path like that again. He's a lovely boy, isn't he, Edward? The kind of son that every mother dreams of having. <laughs> Shame on you, woman. You're puffed up with maternal pride. And you're none too modest about him yourself, Edward Jekyll. When you saw all those accounts of what he did in the papers, I saw your chest begin to expand by inches. Anyone might be proud of what Henry did. Three men owe their lives to him. And a lot of little children would be fatherless if he hadn't risked his life that day. They almost worship him down in the village. They're planning some sort of farewell for him tomorrow. Ah, there goes Margaret now. They look fine together, don't they? It makes me feel grateful to God for all his mercies to see them there. It might have been so different. Yes, Marion, my dear. So different. How strangely you say that. I had strange thoughts. Oh, well, that's the thing of the past now. Let's forget about it and be thankful for the present. Uh, getting on for four o'clock. Don't you think we'd better be turning home? It'll be dark in another hour. Oh, we haven't got so very far to go. If we cut across those moors by that tor over there, we'll strike the village in a few miles. Then come along, let's go. I think your father's warning about the storm is going to come true. <laughs> I love it. I love to feel the wind whipping through my hair and your cheeks, oh, they're crimson. Oh, not my nose, I hope. <laughs> it's a bit red, too. Oh, how hateful of you, Henry. Even if it's true, you shouldn't notice it. It looks adorable. I like you much better like this, with your hair tossed all over your head and old shoes and clothes on. I'd hardly know you for the elegant young lady of the London drawing rooms. Which do you prefer? Ah, now you're asking both sides of my nature to speak. The one that likes the sophistication of London with its music and soft lights, silks and satins, and the other that walks over the moors and cliff tops with you. Swept clean by the wind, glorying in physical strength, happy in the comradeship we feel merely by being here together. Have you two sides to your nature, then? Well, who hasn't? Why, even you, my little Margaret, must feel the pull of conflicting desires now and again. I'd hate to think that there was nothing of the sinner under that sweet face of yours. Henry, sometimes you... you frighten me. Why? I don't know. You look at me sometimes and you make my heart beat. There's something queer in your eyes. Don't say that. Don't ever say that. Do you hear? Why, Henry, what's the matter? You're hurting me. You're digging your fingers into my arm. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Margaret. I'm sorry. Well, come on. Let's cut across the moors by this path. It'll take us home, I think. Oh, it is getting stormy. We'll have rain soon, I think. Well, come on. Give me your hand and we'll hurry home. And don't be cross with me, Margaret. I'm awfully sorry I hurt you. I'm never cross with you, Henry. That is, not for long. Come along. Let's run. I think so. 
I came over by this path a few weeks ago, though it shouldn't have taken us as long as this. It's after five o'clock now. Isn't it dark? I wish we had a lantern. I can hardly see a thing. Well, hang on to my arm. I can still see the path. Oh, here's the rain again. Button up your coat and keep your head down. I'll guide you. I wish we hadn't thrown the last of those sandwiches to the dog. Hungry? Oh, never mind. Mother will have a fine hot meal waiting for us and we'll be home soon now. I'm not sure. This path must lead to somewhere, and we're still on it. We seem to have been pushing our way against the storm for hours. I wonder what the time is. Well, hold open the flap of my coat. I'll try and strike a match. You ready? Yes. Did you see? It's nearly eight o'clock. That does mean we're lost, doesn't it? Yes, I'm afraid it does. I'm awfully sorry, Margaret. I've let you in for this. It, it doesn't matter. We'll wait till daylight and then see our way back. Oh, it won't be daylight for hours. If only we could find some sort of shelter. Look, did you see that in the lightning? Some sort of barn or cottage. No, where? Over to the left. Give me your hand. I think I can find it. See? There it is. Yes, I saw it. Well, that must be where this path leads to. Well, thank goodness we'll be able to get out of this rain. Even the dogs know we're lost. They're hanging right on our heels. Oh, well, with any luck, we'll be under shelter in a few minutes. I hope that lightning comes again. There it is. Come along, let's run. Ooh, what luck. We might easily have passed it. What sort of a place is it? Can you strike a match and let's see? I'll try. I'm afraid they're very wet. Ah, some sort of barn. Well, there's a stack of hay over there. And there's a lantern. See if there's any oil in it. Yes, we're in luck. It's half full. At least we'll have some light. There we are. That's better. Oh, I say, there's a fireplace and some dry wood. That's marvelous. A fire to get warm by and dry our clothes. Oh, if only we had those sandwiches. We'll spend the night imagining what Mother had for us to eat when we got home. They'll be terribly worried over us. I wonder where we are. Well, there's nothing we can do till morning, so let's light this fire and warm ourselves. And what way did they go? The last we saw them, they were going along the cliffs towards Loch Moidart. And uh, when was that? About 11 o'clock this morning. Yeah, they might be anywhere by now. But never fear, Mr. Jekyll, sir. We'll find them sure enough. There's not a body in the whole village who wouldn't spend the night searching for them. We're not forgetting what he did for us. We'll have them back for you safe and sound by morning. Tell his mother that. Feeling warmer now? Mm, warm and sleepy. I'll bring across some more of that hay and we'll make a bed. What time is it? I don't know. My watch has stopped. It must be nearly midnight, though. No wonder I'm sleepy. Here you are. Lie down on this and be comfortable. I'll roll up my coat for a pillow. Oh, no, no. You'll need it. Oh, I'll be warm enough without it. Now, is that better? <laughs> yes, it's fine. Listen, even the storm has died down now. How quiet it is. I wonder where we are. High up on some isolated moor, I guess. <sighs> this must be a feeding place for the cattle. That's why the track led down here. 
It's lonely and a little bit creepy, isn't it? I'm awfully glad I'm not alone. Scared? Not with you here. But don't go too far away from me. No, I'm here, right beside you. It's a pity that lamp burned out so soon, but the fire's still bright. I can see you quite plainly. You're in the shadows. I can only hear your voice. Shall I come closer? Yes, please. You you could put your arm around me if you like, and I could sleep on your shoulder. Isn't the coat comfortable? All right, if you'd rather not. Oh, don't be silly. You know it isn't that. What is it, then? Never mind. There now, is that right? Oh, perfect. You've got such broad shoulders, Henry. They were made for this. Good night. Good night. Looks pretty there lying in the firelight. She wanted to lie close to me. That's the sinner in her. It's there just the same as in all of us. Can't you even look at the face of this sleeping girl without thinking things like that? We're so far away from everybody. Miles and miles away. Just the two of us in this hut. She's turning her face towards me. Those lips, they want my kisses. She's in love with me, I know that. She's Margaret, not Hetty. <laughs> Is there any difference? Because Hetty's poor and this girl's rich, does that mean they aren't the same inside? She's just the same. And she's prettier, much prettier. Her throat, the soft curves as she sleeps there beside me. She's putting her arms towards me. I'll kiss her and wake her up. Hello! Yes? Who is it? What is it? What's the matter? Someone's found us. They must have sent out a search party. Hello there, this way. Hey, is it you? Are you all right? Where's Margaret? Here, Father, here. And safe. Thank God she's safe. I believe we're in a room together. Have you been up to see it yet? Uh, no, I was just up on my way. Well, it's along here. Quite a decent little place. Got a good fireplace and a window looking out into one of the squares. <laughs> we're in luck. Anyone else but ourselves? No, just the two of us. The mate has promised to come along, get us some cushions and things and a comfortable chair or so. Be rather snug by the time we're properly dug in. Uh, here it is. Behold the scene of our future travail. Plenty of good old midnight oil has been burnt in here. <laughs> That's right. We come in freshers, we go out lawyers, doctors, engineers. Oh, trust. Nothing so plebeian as that in this stronghold of culture, my boy. To be an engineer smacks too much of grime under the fingernails and the sweat of honest toil. Oh, by the way, what are you doing? Uh, medicine. I thought I'd have a try for science as well. Oh, you're going to be busy. Al Stinks is a perfect slave driver, I've heard. Uh, you mean Professor Marriott? Well, I met him a while ago and liked him immensely. Oh, yes. No end of a decent old pot. But a martinet in the laboratory won't stand for any sort of larks at all. <laughs> I guess I'm far too much of a butterfly to last out anything more serious than medicine. <laughs> Even then I'll be surprised if I get away with anything more impressive than an MB. <laughs> well, come along. <laughs> Where do you to assemble in the great hall? Put your bags and come out. 
how did you find out so much about things so soon? Well, I've got two brothers here. They will be wise to no end of things. Great saving on the nervous system. I hate starting anything, don't you? If the young gentleman in the back row will kindly give me their attention, we will now proceed with a demonstration. Will Mr. Jekyll be so good as to give me his assistance? Jekyll again, the old boy dotes on him. Yes. Jekyll's out for others. He can have his swats every night of his life. If you have anything of importance to communicate to your neighbor, Mr. Grayson, would you be good enough to allow us all to hear? Well, come along, don't be modest. I'm sure the cause of science will be considerably advanced if we hear what you're whispering to Mr. Roberts. Uh, it, it was nothing, sir. I apologize for talking during lecture, sir. Good. We will now see that by the addition of a few minims of this tincture, we will completely alter the character of the subject under observation. Uh, Mr. Jekyll, are you ready to carry out the rest of the experiment? Uh, yes, sir. Quite ready. Good. The action of extreme heat, which we will now apply by means of lighting a flame under this retort, will bring about a further interesting change. Come on, Jekyll. You're not going to stick at those books all your life, are you? Well, I've got exams in five weeks' time, don't forget. Oh, what have you held? You'll pass with one hand tied behind your back. Tell him for this weekend and come to London with Roberts and me. Be back on Sunday night and you'll feel like 40 men after it. Working yourself to death, man. Don't think you've smiled for a month. <laughs> with you about to make a fist of yourself? <laughs> then come on, be human. Have you ever been on a binge in your life? Have I? Well, yes, I guess I have. Oh, oh I don't believe it. You've got that monkish pallor that betrays the pure in heart. <laughs> Can't endure it myself. Then come along and we'll wallow in sin. Oh, you mean it? Of course I do. I haven't seen London for months. I love the dirty, bedraggled old hag. Let's go and fill our nostrils full of the odor of her evil doing. Is this really you, Jekyll? And me thinking you were a positive monk. Uh, Casanova was a monk, don't forget. By Joe, so he was. <laughs> but to see you sitting there under that lamp makes me think more of a knight of the Holy Grail than of him. And I'll be Tannhauser in the Venusberg. Begone, dull care, away with bookish learning. <laughs> what if the hand does shake when making the experiment? Who knows, a new discovery may be made and I'll be famous. If old Prof Marriott sees you at it, heaven help you. He's grooming you for half the fellowships in the year. Come along, let's get out of here. The girls here are the same as the ones at Farrow's. Well, what do you expect? They've all got two legs, two arms, and no brain. Can't anybody show me something different? Be back at the university this time tomorrow night, and I won't have done a single thing I haven't done before. He wants variety. What about it, Jekyll? Can't you lead us to some dark and secret end? Well, if you persist in sticking to the West End, you'll never find variety. Oh, what do you mean? Well, this is the sort of thing our fathers used to indulge in. If you want something different. Of course we do. Well, then come along. I say, where are we going to? Old Cheapside, the embankment, the haunts and the dives of the East End. Have you got walking sticks and buttons on the pockets of your coats? You'll need them. Jekyll, you two-faced deceiver. 
Have you been keeping all the knowledge to yourself and letting us waste our time and money on the imitation rights of Bloomsbury? Oh, uh, well, we've still got one night left. Walpurgis night. On to the witch's Sabbath. Oh, you are not going. Faithy, my little dear, we're leaving you for dark and desperate deeds. Oh, but what about this hotel you promised me? Oh, here's the money. Eat it or put it in the top of your stocking. But then I'll sustain what you do it. Oh, but I thought I promised to have supper with a rich banker from Hamburg for you. <laughs> Never let your heart run away with your head, little one. Go and tell him you love him best after all. Well, come on, Lanyon and Robert. Let's get a cab. Singing out for you. Uh, what for? He wants you downstairs, of course. Oh, then tell him I'm not coming. Oh, don't be mad. You've got to. There's three talks just coming. They're drunk as lords and slinging their money round like anything. One of them just paid two quid for a bottle of fizz. Oh, what do I care? I'm tired. I've been working all night. I'm not coming down to sing songs for any talks at this hour. What time is it in here? After three o'clock. Well, that puts the lid on it. I'm not coming down again for the Prince of Wiles. You better not let here Pat hear you say that. He sent me up to get your special. You haven't been here so long as the rest of us. And you don't know Pat when he gets mad. I've been here long enough to know when I've earned what he pays me. I've done enough for one night and that's that. Hey, hey, hey. What's the matter with you? Take a lie, Oh, there he is now. Take my tip and you'll come down. Here, what the... Why aren't you out of bed? Who told you to knock off work like this? I'm tired. You'll have more than this to make you tired before you're done. Now, come on, get up out of this this minute. Come downstairs and entertain the gentleman. Or do I have to drag you down with the luck? You pick your hand off me, you, you slave driver, you. What, what's this? Is this the return I get for taking you in off the streets? Where would you have been if it hadn't been me that took in pity on you? Huh? Took pity on me? <laughs> I like that. There's about as much pity in you as there is in a man-eating tiger. Mm, so that's the way of it, is it? Then take that, you little impudent faggot, you. <laughs> <laughs> now you do as I tell you and come downstairs. No, no, I won't. Well, we'll see about that. I'm giving you just long enough for me to count ten before I take hold of you and throw you out of the place, lock, stop and barrel. And where will you be then, I'd like to know? Already do as he says. It ain't any use making a fuss. And why isn't it any use? If all you other girls would do the same, things would be different round here. But you haven't got the nerve, and he gets away with it. I've been here six months now, and I haven't ever got out of debt to him. I'll be glad if he threw me out, and then I'll be rid of him. Uh, you would, eh? Then out you go. Go on. Out of this. Right this minute. Then give me back the clothes I had when I came. What? Those rags? I bought them long ago. But I can't go without clothes. And the kind I have to wear here, I'm fit to go out in the street in. No, you're not going in any clothes of mine. You're going as you are, and the first policeman who comes along will arrest you. Oh, you, you beast. That's how you keep your girls there, isn't it? We're slaves, that's what we are. You feed us and dress us and make us do the dirty work you're growing rich on. Shut your mouth, or I'll fetch you such a swipe. You'll, you'll not forget in a hurry. Go ahead and do it. I'd rather that than go downstairs and be mauled about by those drunken brutes down there. I won't do your dirty work, you hear, I'm through with it, I'm finished. Will you quit your squall, or do I have to knock the daylights out of you? Put on your clothes and come downstairs or I... No, I won't, I won't, I won't, see? Mm. I won't. Oh, by Jiminy, I've stood enough. Get out of there. No, hey, hey, hey. Get your hands off me. Uh, come on, you <laughs> double check your mind. Here, here, what's going on here? What's going on here? 
Hetty. Henry. Henry Jekyll. Oh, Henry. Well, what are you doing here? What's that man been doing? Why, oh, Your Honor, it was all a mistake. Have you been striking her? What are those marks on her face and arms? I, I, Shut why, your mouth, you dirty blackguard. Hetty, how long have you been here? Six months. Oh, Hetty, six months. Oh, what do you care? It was you that drive me here. I know. I know, but I'll... I'll take you out of it. Where are your clothes? I haven't got any but these. Not a coat? No, nothing. Here. Here, take mine. Take mine, quick. What are you doing? Is she a relative of yours? Never mind what she is. Get out of my way and don't you try to stop this girl coming with me. I'll find some way to clean up this hole of yours and put you where you belong. Now, Hetty, are you ready? Oh, Henry, you're mad. You can't do this. I'm going to. I'm going to try and make up for what I did six months ago. Come on, let's go. Well, saints preserve us. A gentleman like him in a low little tug like her. And he'll take the other two gentlemen away with him as like as not. Bad cess to him. Never mind. I'll see you on Victoria Station at 7 o'clock, Sunday evening. Well, how's that for rapid work, Robert? Goes upstairs to see what the noise is about and comes up with a girl wrapped up in his overcoat. And gets away with her toe. Look, he's putting her into a cab. What if there's something more to our young friend Jekyll than meets the eye? This will have to be investigated. Come along. Let's follow him. with my own eyes, I would never have believed it. Our saintly Jekyll coming downstairs with that girl tucked under his arm as cool as you please. He must have known her somewhere before. After all, a man doesn't go upstairs to stop a brawl and then walk out into the night with one of the women for nothing. Would you believe it? Our studious and irreproachable young Galahad. What will the other fellows say when we tell him about it? Uh, now, look here, Robert. Sweet, uh, better be careful what we say about this. After all, none of us are supposed to be up in London this weekend, and if it got about too much... Yes, probably all right. And another thing, it's um, no business of ours. I, I like Jekyll, and if he's got something like this girl he wants to keep quiet about, I guess it's up to us to mind our own business. Now, I half wish we hadn't started following him the way we did. Well, we can easily tell the cabman to take us to the hotel. I'm infernally tired, for one. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Jekyll's cab seems to be turning into that side street, uh, Queer sort of quarter, this. I wonder where we are. Heaven only knows. 
I've been half asleep for the past half hour. Oh, now that we've gone so far, we'd better see the rest of it. Uh, hey, driver. Uh, hey, William. Very good, sir. Well, they have. What are you going to do? Well, Jekyll's cab's pulled up. We'd better stay here and see what happens. Doesn't seem to be a single soul about but ourselves. Look at all those wretched little shops and the puddles in the street. I never saw a more desolate-looking spot. Oh, I say, look. Well, there he is now. Going over to the door in that house. He's unlocking it. House? Doesn't look like a house to me. It hasn't any windows, just a door. Looks like some kind of warehouse. Looks to me as though it might be anything. See, there, there he's opened it. And now he's going back to get the girl. There she is. Doesn't seem to be very anxious to go in. <laughs> Don't blame her. Looks decidedly uninviting to me. Ideal place for a murder. There she goes. Now he shut the door. And the cab's starting to drive away. Uh, what do you make of it, Lanyon? I don't make anything of it at all. What this building can be, I can't even guess. And that Jekyll should have any connection with the sort of girl that one is seems almost unbelievable. What will we do? Go back to the hotel and hold our tongues. This is Jekyll's affair. It's no concern of ours. All the same, I'd give a lot to know what's going on inside that place. Give me your arm, Hetty. I'll guide you up these stairs. Adoptive. Where are we, Henry? It's part of my father's house. Your father's house? This queer, dark place? Not part of the main house, but an outer building a little way from the other. Now, here's the door. Now, go in. I'll light a lamp for you in a moment. Oh! Oh, what a queer place. Did anybody live here? No, it hasn't been used for a long time. A famous surgeon used to live in the main house, and this was the place where he did some experiments. Do you mean he, he used to cut people up? <laughs> well, I don't think he did any human experiments here, but maybe animals, dogs, and rabbits, and guinea pigs. No wonder there seems to be something queer about it. Think of all the little things that's died here and, and been in pain. Oh, come. You don't want to go thinking uh, about things like that. It's not a bad sort of a place at all, really. I'll light a fire in the grate over there, and you can get warm, and then I'll try and fix you up a bit, and maybe find you some clothes. James. Henry, what are you going to do with me? I don't know. We'll think of that in the morning. Well, what will your people say when they find you brought me here? My people are all away in the country. They need know nothing about it. You never wanted anyone to know anything about me, did you? Well, what makes you say that? That was why you got me to leave home and come up to London, wasn't it? You wanted me out of the way, didn't you? Especially after what happened to poor young Mr. Markham. Don't mention his name. Never let me hear you say that again. I won't say it to anybody else, but I don't see why I can't say it to you. I know. So what's the use of pretending I don't? You've changed a lot, haven't you? <laughs> Do you wonder? I've been six months at Mike O'Reilly's, and a good few things have happened to me in that time. You don't think I'd be the same little innocent who went off to London with ten pounds in a purse and believing you was going to come up and take care of her, do you? Hetty, I... Oh, don't bother to tell me. I know. I think I knew all along. But you kind of hope it isn't true. Especially when 
When you care for someone like, like I cared for you. I did try to find you, you know. When? Some weeks later, after the school term finished. Yeah, and there wasn't any danger of you getting expelled like Mr. Markham was. Well, I couldn't do it before. You know, I had exams. I couldn't possibly get away. Oh, but you could have written or sent me money or done something like you promised to. Oh, yes, I know. I've been a young swine to you, Hetty, and I know it. Oh, well. What's the use of going into that now? <laughs> I should have had more sense. But now that I've found you again, I'll... Well, I'll try and make up for it. I can't sit near the fire. It's burning well now. I'll push this chair for you. Why, you're half frozen. Oh, no wonder with your feet bare like that. Now, you sit here. I'll go over to the house and see what I can find for you to wear. Henry. What? You... You come back. Won't you? Well, of course I will. Whatever made you think I wouldn't? What makes me think you... <laughs> if you'd gone to that post office in Charing Cross like I did, day after day, open for a letter, if you'd been waiting all those weeks praying for someone to come who never did, you'd know why I don't trust no one anymore. Hetty, my poor little Hetty. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't die, and that's the truth. I thought about it often enough. I went down to the river once, but there was always the hope that there'd be a letter the next day, or, or I'd see you in the street. Well, now you have seen me. I'm here. I'm going to look after you, Hetty. All that's over now. No, it isn't. You can't have the lot for me hanging on to you. Maybe you'll, you'll be nice to me for a little while, but that's all. Now, now, dry your eyes and sit beside the fire while I go over to the house. I won't be long. When you've had something to eat and got some clothes on, I'll find somewhere for you to sleep and, well, we'll talk it all about tomorrow morning. Is that all right? Yes, Henry. That's all right. You don't know what it's like to see you again. I, I think I... I've tried for it every night of my life. <laughs> Can you imagine anyone... Brian in Mike's place. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? No, I... I think it's rather wonderful. Now stay quietly there, Hetty. I won't be long. Oh, I, uh, I came up for the weekend with two other chaps. We just, uh, well, we just came up for a bit of a break. I see. Well, you'd best be getting into bed, hadn't you? It's nearly four o'clock. Uh, yes, I, I suppose I had. <laughs> you know, I had no idea it was so late. Did you have a good night? Uh, yes, very good. Went to a show, on the sea rose, and, uh, one or two other places afterwards. See anyone you know? What's that? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes, one or two. <laughs> you know how it is. One always bumps into people you know in those places. Pity you didn't happen to drop into the Regency. Margaret was having a small party there. 
She'll be very disappointed when I tell her you were in town. Oh, Father, you mustn't do that. You mustn't say a word to Margaret about my being in town this weekend or to anybody else. Very well, my boy. Just as you please, of course. Well, I don't suppose there's any point in standing here. I'll see you at breakfast. Good night, son. Good night, Father. Uh, Henry. Yes, Father. You're not in any kind of, uh, difficulty, are you? What makes you ask? I just thought you looked a little strained. Uh, but perhaps that's only the result of a late night. Oh, I'm all right, Father. You're never better. Good. Well, off to bed with you and no more wandering around the house in the dark. Next time I might shoot. I'll go right to bed. I promise. Over an hour now. She'll be thinking I'm not coming back. Father will be asleep now. Get out of bed and go back to that girl before it's too late. Don't be a fool. It was fate your father being there. He forced you to remain in the house. You'd have given yourself away if you hadn't gone to bed. That's enough, isn't it? Let the girl go. She'd be an infernal nuisance to you. What are you going to do with her? You're sure to be found out. Stay where you are and let her think what she pretty is. I failed her once and see what happened to her. Am I going to send her away again? What's it got to do with you? Anyhow, it's too late now. She's lost. Once she's been like that, well, you know the rest. This was none of your doing. If your father hadn't been up in London... Oh, what am I going to do? I'll get up out of bed and, and go out to that girl. I'll go back to Hetty and take the consequences. You fool. You fool. Hetty. Hetty, where are you? Why, she's gone. <laughs> She's gone. She's gone. <laughs> you stayed too long. You listened to me, didn't you? You hoped you wouldn't find her here. You knew she wouldn't stay this long. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. But you're glad. You can go back to Oxford and not have to worry. She ran away of her own accord. No one knows she was here. You can think of Margaret again. What a relief. What a relief. <laughs> well, my boy, did you get some sleep? Not very much, I'm afraid. Did I hear you wandering around after we parted? Me? Oh, no, I... I stayed in bed once I got there. You look as though you could do with an hour or two more. Hmm, have some breakfast. The cook's provided some excellent kidneys. Uh, thanks, I think... Uh, I think coffee will do me this morning. Uh, care to see the paper? Anything in it? Oh, just the usual Sunday morning crop of murders and suicides. <laughs> Funny how they seem to break out over the weekend. 
Everybody too busy during the week, I suppose. Uh, by the way, uh, were you out in the old dissecting room while you'd been up here this time? Oh, oh dear, you've spilled the coffee all over the tablecloth. I'm sorry, it's awfully clumsy of me. Hands and I'm too steady this morning. Uh, wait a minute, I'll wipe it up. I suppose Mrs. Porter will forgive you. What made you ask about the dissecting room? I uh, happened to take a look in there before breakfast. There were traces of a fire having been lit there quite recently. Last night, I should say. No, I... I wasn't there. I wonder who it could have been. One of the servants, perhaps. They might have been entertaining some friends. I'll have the lock on the outer door changed. Oh, by the way, uh, it was open when I looked. Uh, oh, uh, oh, open was it? Oh, well, perhaps the nocturnal visitor left in a hurry. It's a bad business, really. I thought I could rely on all the people we have here. That back door gives access to a very bad part of the city. We can't afford to risk having that door left open. You know, Father, I was only thinking the other day that I'd like to have that place cleaned up. I'll be wanting to go on with my work even during vacation. And I could do all sorts of things out there without making a nuisance of myself. But wouldn't it be better to forget about work? You can't keep going all the time. Well, I'd like to play around there sometimes. There's so much equipment there already, and uh, Professor Marriott and I are working on a scheme now that must be gone on with. I'll have to work somewhere, and it's so quiet and so isolated. Then have it, by all means. We'll go out and have a look at it after we've finished breakfast. Sure you won't look at the paper? Oh, I suppose I might as well have a glance at it. Uh, what time do you leave tonight? Uh, 7.10, I think. Then you'll have time for early dinner. I'm going back to Maryland tomorrow. Just took a flying trip to attend to a small piece of business. Uh, well, what's the matter? This girl. Do you see her picture? Oh, that. Tried to throw herself off Battersea Bridge, didn't she? I know her. You do? It's Hetty. Hetty Wilson. Uh, don't you remember? I told you about her. She was the girl who... Uh, who was mixed up with that business of David Markham. I see. She's been arrested and charged at the Waterside Police Court for being a person without lawful means of support. Uh, what does that mean, Father? It means she'll probably be sent to a house of detention for a while. Jail? Hetty in jail? Would you like me to get in touch with Utterson and get him to see what he can do about it? Mr. Utterson? Uh, Margaret's father? Oh, I know. I'll go myself. Will I go with you? No, I'll... I'll go alone. Well, you'll find me here all morning if you want me. No, the prisoner has been removed to the jail infirmary. She's suffering from exposure and immersion in the water. Immersion. Then, then she did throw herself in the river. Uh, she did, young gent. And if it hadn't have been that the water patrol was passing at the time, she'd have been adorning a marble slab in the morgue by now. I see. Oh, can... can anybody visit her? A visitor's allowed once a month by special permit from the Department of Justice. Uh, letters once a week. Thank you. Uh, care to leave any name, sir? I could let her know, maybe? No. Uh, no, no name, thank you. No name.
contemplated. Robert and I are in a Nice mess you'd have been in if you hadn't been there for assembly tomorrow morning. Now, what's the matter with you? You look all out. I had to rush for the train. Making the most out of merry old London down there. <coughs> I must say you're a dark horse. Robert and I are a couple of babes in arms compared to you. We'll get to show us the way around next time. Still, we didn't do so badly. Have a good time today? Oh, yes. Marvellous. Don't know when I enjoyed myself so much before. Um, say, um, who was the little piece you got away with last night? Uh, don't mind my asking, do you? Oh, no, not in the least. She's a Hungarian princess in disguise. Takes drugs, poor thing. Very sad case. Hungarian... Oh, get out. That's for the young. Still, I suppose that's your way of telling me to mind my own business. I say, look at old Roberts over there. <laughs> Sound asleep already. Think I'll do likewise. <sighs> what a night. for a moment? Uh, yes, Professor. I uh, had occasion to visit your rooms over the weekend. You were, you were absent. Uh, yes, I, I went for a longish walk in the woods, sir. Oh, yes, I guessed as much. Uh, has it ever occurred to you, Jekyll, how extraordinarily useful it could be if we could disassociate the more fleshy parts of our being from the spiritual? I'm afraid I don't know what you mean, sir. Well, you come into the laboratory with me for a while. Yes, sir. There's no one there now. I've been working for a great many years on a particular line of investigation, and I'd, I'd like to interest you in it, if I could. It's still far from complete, and, well, I'm an old man now, and I need someone who could carry on from where I left off if I should happen to move to the place where scientific experience will no longer seem important. Oh, uh, this way, Mr. Dickel, this way. Uh, Professor... Are you putting this, uh, this theory of yours forward as a practical proposition? It is not my habit to be facetious about matters of experimental science, young sir. And you truly think that by, well, shall we say, deadening a section of physical consciousness of the will, one can release the other from the influence of its counterpart? Why not? See, I reach out my hand to lift this small earthenware bowl off the flame. But knowledge tells me it is hot. This makes me hesitate. And fear of consequences causes me to withdraw my hand. Uh, I see. Uh, much better than grasping it and suffering a lot of pain, precisely. Now, let us proceed from the realm of the physical to that of the spiritual. We desire something intensely. It may be something that we know is harmful to us, that may even be injurious to us. Nevertheless, we desire it. Now, if the fear of consequent injury could be removed... Wouldn't this open up an entirely new scope of existence? Yes, it certainly would. I want to lift this hype, hot vessel and may not because it will burn me. You may want to indulge yourself in some white-hot experience and dare not because of the damage that you would suffer. Uh, do I make myself clear? Yes, quite clear, sir. Good. And so we have the battle of impulse and inhibition constantly struggling for ascendancy within us. We are, all of us, not one man but two. There is the evil and the good in each of us, and our physical body is the battleground for these opposing forces. We are everlastingly tormented by them, and some of us are destroyed by them. Don't you agree, Mr. Jekyll? Yes. Oh, yes, I... Yes, I agree. Well, why can we not sever these opposing forces and let each one go his own way? The sublime in us to walk untrammeled by the millstone of our baser selves, the profane to follow his impulses without the agonizing aftermath of hideous remorse. But how? 
How? Well, see here, in this little cabinet. Now, Mr. Jekyll, here's a drug I've compounded, and here, a tincture. By the addition of one to the other, I believe I'll have the essential instrument which will sever these, these polar opposites now chained together in the agonizing prison of our consciousness. And then what then? Then we shall see. I propose to put my theory to the test. You are going to experiment on someone? I am going to take the drug myself. You? But supposing it fails, supposing you've made some, some sort of a mistake. I know perfectly well the risk I run. Any drug as powerful as this might well prove fatal. But I'm an old man. I have no family, no obligations, except to the furtherance of science, a master I've served all my life. Oh, no, you mustn't. You can't be spared. I've left all my affairs in order, Mr. Jekyll. Now, what the few material things I possess will go to my sister. My notes, the data I've kept for years, the results of the experiments I've made are all to go to you. You are my spiritual heir. Oh, sir, Professor Mariotta, I'm too young. This is too great a responsibility for me. Only a young man on the threshold of his career should have them. If I fail, it may well take you a half a lifetime to discover the error in my calculations. And now, if you're ready, we'll put the theory to the test. Now? Now? Why not? I've planned this for nearly 20 years. See, thus I measure out the tincture. Now note well the amazing brilliance of its color. Now the essential sauce. Now this must be measured to the utmost of accuracy. The least fraction of an overdose might well be fatal. There. See the way it boils and wages in the glass as the crystals start to melt? Yes, now it smokes. Those are the fumes escaping in the form of vapor. <coughs> it catches the throat, eh? Now, see the color changes. The original crimson turns to purple. And now the final metamorphosis. It turns to green. Oh, the preparation is complete. Now remains the final, ultimate test. Oh, but, but this is blasphemy. You're going to rip apart the veils that, that hide the human soul. Galileo was threatened with a rack and the wheel of inquisition for the blasphemy of saying that the earth revolved round the sun. And I am prepared to accept the torture that will follow the taking of this preparation for the sake of my beliefs. Are you prepared to stay and witness what follows? Yes. Yes, I'll stay. Good. I now drink to the cause of science, to the furtherance of knowledge, the only bridge whereby man can cross the abyss that separates him from the barbarism of savagery to the godhead of his greater self. Professor! 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 He's dead. It failed. There was something wrong with the mixture. You said it might take half a lifetime to succeed. But I'll do it. I'll not fail to carry out your trust in me. I shall succeed where you have failed. Okay, y'all, It's we've hit that time again. Uh, it's time for me to close shop, shut down everything. And I hope y'all had as much fun as I did. And I look forward to seeing you next time around. And I think I gave you all of the contact information earlier. Um, so I guess I'll just... Get off here and shut my mouth for now and see you next week. Oh, 
Uh, next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do PI and detective shows, private investigator and detective shows. So I hope y'all will enjoy that because I know I will. Anyway, I'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.